On March 1st, the online Nintendo community suffered a great loss. Personal friend Bobby Pauls, otherwise known as the Nintendo Guru, passed away due to complications in regards to COVID-19. He was in the hospital since the beginning of November and even got airlifted to more equipped facilities in an attempt to better his condition. Bobby was a treasure, always doing his best to spread positivity on the internet through his love of Nintendo. He might as well have been everyone's uncle who worked at Nintendo. As we go through 2021, I just wanted to remind everyone to be safe out there. Yes, the vaccine is making its way around, but that doesn't mean everything and everyone is safe yet. Please continue to stay safe distances away, wear your mask, wash your hands, and avoid large gatherings. Too many good people have been affected by this disease, and it is important that we continue to take it seriously. For all the great people out there like Bobby, please stay safe and love those around you. We wish Bobby's family the best during these trying times. To Bobby, I just want to say thank you for being the Nintendo Guru and being a pillar of kindness in the Nintendo community. Peace out, Bobby. Zyger, and I'll be leading you through the week four patch. With me is the fashionista with an eye for event planning, Spencer. Every farming simulation should have an autosave. I lost 15 hours of One World this week, so. No! I'm heartbroken. Joining us is the vaccinated king of development, Jordan. I'm here to talk games, make games, and steal your heart. And not get COVID. Anymore. After the second shot. <laughs> and lastly, the spicy tank machine who kills it every week to make sure we all sound great, smart, and clean, Kaylee. If that part of the audio sounds bad, it's intentional to be ironic. Just know that. It's a bit. If this sounds bad. Fair enough. We are in March now, which is insane to think about as it feels 2021 just started. We have a somewhat lighter news week compared to previous weeks, but let's get started and dive into the scrum. A trailer for From Software's newest title, Elden Ring, has leaked. The video has made its way across all corners of the internet, giving people the first look at the title. Online speculation pointed towards a proper reveal during a rumored Microsoft showcase later this month, but Microsoft has since stated not to expect anything in regards to either Elden Ring or the Xbox presentation for this month. Mediatonic, the developers of Fall Guys, announced this week that they have been acquired by Fortnite developer Epic Games adding yet another cash cow to the already impressive catalog that is Epic Games. Will we see Fortnite-level crossovers? Who knows? A brand new game in the Alien franchise got announced, Alien Fireteam, developed by Cold Iron Games, a brand new studio. The game is a third-person survival shooter. Think Gears of War crossed with Left 4 Dead, but with Xenomorphs. Coming to PS4, PS5, Xbox One, Xbox Series X, and PC. Nintendo plans a new Switch model with a bigger Samsung OLED display. As reported in Bloomberg by Takashi Mochizuki, Nintendo plans to reveal a new model for their console sometime later this year, but not anytime soon. The new OLED screen may indicate a better battery life, but we will have to wait and see. I can't wait for Nintendo to release the PlayStation Vita. <laughs> Vita lives. CEO of Take-Two Interactive, Strauss Zutnik, says players are ready for $70 games. During the Morgan Stanley Technology 
Media and Telecom Conference, Zelnick spoke about the reaction to NBA 2K21's $70 price point for Xbox Series X and PS5, and believes that they, and other devs, should be ready for this price increase, so long as they put out enough content to justify the new $70 price point. We've seen Sony start charging $70 for some of their PS5 titles already, whereas Microsoft has stated they intend to stick with the $60 price for their first-party offerings. We have to take two stance on the matter. It's very possible this new price point will become the norm. I also agree that it's fine to have games at $70. I think what the industry is less ready for is games at the $40 price point and the $50 price point. I think for those higher budget indie games that are maybe 7 to 10 hours long that do have like AAA looking graphics but are like $40 to $50, I think those will struggle more than $70 games. And we'll be back in the year 2008. So this is like a downloadable game. This is not a full experience. Oh, no. Yeah, I forgot about that. And that sucks, too, because that sounded so appealing when you said it. I was like, oh, man, I'm old now. I want, like, a really... Like I said before, my problem with indie games is that typically they have such low budgets, you don't get the high-quality graphics and, like, super deep character customizers, except now it's 2021 and we have games like Calico where you do. So, like, I like the direction that we're headed in. Calico from White Thorn Games, the same publisher if we should talk. Uh, Nice. uh, And lastly, Alice doesn't get that. We want P5 on Switch. Alice just released their annual survey, which is designed to get feedback from the fans as to what they want to see from Alice in the near future. Every year since 2017, Alice has asked fans specifically if they would like to see Persona 5 on other platforms, and if so, which. I know this because every year I, and many others, ask for Persona to come to Switch. This year is no different, and Alice still is asking if fans truly want it. Does Atlas actually listen to the fans? What's the point of repeating questions every year? We may never know. But I'm looking forward to reminding them in 2022. And that is all of the news for the week. Next up, we'll be moving into the quality assurance segment of the podcast. This week, the topic will be covering safety in IRL communities. So, who would like to start us off? Well, to start off, I think we have uh, some pretty important news that didn't make the scrum. And that is that uh, a viral tweet, an article went live earlier this week that adult women are now the largest demographic in gaming, which is exciting, except for the fact that that article is from 2014. Yes, in 2014, an article was published showing that adult women are the largest demographic in gaming. And you can tell how much an effect that had because when it went live as a retweet a couple of days ago... Everyone thought it was new information. (laughs) So that's really exciting. And I just think is really, really indicative of how perception is reality and how, you know, we have the statistics. Uh, Jordan pulled up a really cool. I don't know where he got this. We're going to you hit me up with this. We have the link in the show notes for you guys. But Jordan pulled up a really cool document that just has a lot of granular breakdowns for the demographics in gaming. As of the time that this was published, uh, the gaming community broke down to 214.4 million players in the U.S. The U.S. has a population of around 316 million. So we're saying that 214, I'll round down, 214 million of 316 million people play video games. That's crazy. Video games are, we talked about this last week. We talked about this before. Video games are not a niche hobby, and our perception of them is a niche hobby to a certain extent only hurts us because you look at these numbers and you see things like the percentage of women that are gaming, the percentage of women 
playing arcade games, action games, shooters. And then you, you compare that to the percentages of men and you realize that every perception you have of who a stereotypical gamer is, is wrong. Which means that when we have conversations and the argument for why things are X is because it's made for the stereotypical gamer, that can't happen when the stereotypical gamer is not the person buying video games. Yeah, I think the interesting thing about this is, like you said, perception and the way that gatekeeping uh, paints how we view the industry. So for a long time, and the article that's quoting this, the statistic by the ESA, the Entertainment Software Association, which is an independent organization, they're an independent organization that gets statistics and information from all the industry to not only provide us with this information, but they also do a lot of like activism and lobbying for video game legislation and like protections of studios and things like um whenever there's like a we need to stop violent video games the essay is a lot of the puts a lot of the focus towards helping us in that regard the studies that are like studies show violence in video games doesn't correlate to violence among children these are the studies the interesting so for a long time the the narrative that was being spun is that women like mo- mobile games and and two things as a result happened. There was there was evidence that a lot of women were playing mobile games. And because women were playing mobile games, I believe, the gatekeeper side of the industry said, well, that means those aren't real games then. Yep. And as a result, that's just what the industry thinks. And and some people very well know that it's because they think that women play it. And the other people just think that there's nothing there because the industry is loud about who is what's a real game and not. And they just ignore the mobile game market in the U.S. specifically. Uh because of this very, very clearly sexist history there. But according to this this study from the ESA, the most common device used for video game play among adult players, which is 18 and above, is smartphones. 61% of people play games on smartphones more than anything else. Then 52% is a game console. But, I mean, those that, that looks weird. Now I don't say it out loud because that doesn't add up. But I know that there's cross-pollination between all these stats. Yeah, it's like, what do you play the most on? And you can check a certain number of boxes. Smartphone is the biggest gaming uh, platform in existence. Everyone, like most, more people have smartphones than have computers or consoles. So it goes to show that people are playing games there. It's just, we're in a place where a lot of people tell you that those aren't real games. And as a developer, I know way more mobile developers than anything else. That is such a huge industry. Specifically in New York, that's where almost every... Game Studio in New York is a mobile studio, with the exception of places like Avalanche and and some offices of Rockstar and some other things. But that's that's where that is the starting game developer publishers like job. A lot of them start in mobile games, and because mobile games aren't necessarily respected enough. I think I figured out this chart. You're talking about how it doesn't add up. The step that you were sorting was most common devices used for video game play among adult players. And then it's a breakdown. And so what I think that this is demonstrating is that 61% of video game of adult video game players play on smartphones. 52% play on game consoles. 49% play on personal computers. So I take away from that is if, if you have a group of all gamers and you go, how many of you play on PC? And it's 100 gamers, 49 will raise their hand. And then if you say, okay, put your hands on. How many people will play on game console? It's 52. Because Roughly 3%, you know, there, you take all the people who own PCs and all the people who own game consoles, there's going to be a lot of overlapping, but there's yeah. going to be more people who own both a PC and a console 
or just a console than own just a PC. Same with smartphones. Some people don't own a game console or a PC, but they own like they only play on smartphone. Some people have all three. Some people only have two. So I think that's why the numbers don't per se add up. It's just uh, each one is not related to itself. Each one is in relation to all gamers. So it's each one is out of 100% of all gamers. So 61 out of all gamers, 52% of all gamers, 49% of all gamers. Yes. Sorry. I just want to clear that up. <laughs> A really surprising fact came to light this week that plays into the idea that people think smartphone games are inferior. World's End Club is the game that's by the Danganronpa and the 999 people. Spike Chunsoft? No. It's Spike Chunsoft. It's not Spike Chunsoft. It's those two, but the developers are from those two, developers from those teams are making right. this game. It's an Apple Arcade exclusive right now. You can play that game on your iPhone or on your Apple TV right now. And people were making such a big deal about it because it was coming to the Switch and nobody cared about it. It had like come out on Apple Arcade and is out there. You can play it right now. Yeah, I had no idea that was out on Switch or, or on mobile already via Apple Arcade. Yeah, that blew my mind when I saw that. So many people were hyped for that game. I was hyped for that game. And if I knew right, like, if I walked away from that direct and they ended it with, like, you know, like an Apple, like, available now on Apple Arcade and coming soon to Switch, I'd been like, oh, shit. But of course they couldn't do that. I'm not surprised Nintendo didn't show the competitors that it was on. You know, the implication was kind of that it was exclusive and we're all kind of used to that con, even though I keep falling for it. So I totally would have played it on my iPad. Like, and that's another thing that i think a lot of people forget too is that you can play mobile games on your ipad i play mobile games on my ipad all the time zyger plays like 700 hours of her stone on his ipad a week it's ridiculous yeah it's real bad the foundation of sexism per like finding its way into every aspect of the games industry ends up like showing its face everywhere it shows its face with our developers it shows its face with the fandom it shows its face with our personalities and content creators a word that i dislike but content creators in how they are treated and what their communities do and don't do in the industry. And it ends up, it ends up showing its way, showing its head in harassment of many groups of people, but more specifically, like almost overwhelmingly uh, women in the industry. Yeah. Life sucks. It's really hard. We hate it. It's not fair. And I think the thing that blows a lot of people's minds is that there are communities like I'm in a bunch of Facebook groups and, you know, back when I was on Facebook religiously, you know, I was in a bunch of Facebook groups that were all like visual novel and Otome game groups. And it was all women that owned PlayStation Vitas at the time, because that's the only way that you could get English translation of visual novels and Otome games on like a US console. It wasn't coming to anything but Steam and Vita. And a lot of like Steam had a barrier to entry that something like it orig- these groups originally existed so that girls could help like sift through the quality of different visual novels and stuff on Steam because there was just such an overwhelming amount of content where like a lot of it is shit. And so finding like good Japanese games that have English translations was really hard for a long time. Finding like the the because it's such a big it's such a big market in Japan, and there's such there's so much high quality, big budget content that English speakers couldn't get their hands on, and so you had communities that were dedicated to fan translations and people posting like patches to update in with you know 
translated subtitles for everything. And that morphed into, girls, if you buy a PlayStation Vita, you can get these 12 Vita games. And there's six more coming. And there were all these girls who'd never played any other game on their Vita. But they play- they spent hundreds of dollars on Otome games. And if you asked any, like, if you asked half the people in the gaming groups I would admin, if those girls were gamers, they'd be like, <laughs> I mean, they only play Otome games. How much money have you spent on games this month? I guarantee it's not as much as girls spend in new chapters on Otome games. You know, how many of you bought Vitas? Because the attachment rate on Vita was so high because people would literally buy them for this niche thing that was only coming out on Vita and then only getting translated on Vita. And they'd be like, cool, I bought this device specifically for these games and every single one of these games I'm going to buy on Vita. I have like nine visual novel Otome games that I'm now rebuying on Switch because the PlayStation Vita became the was like the indie machine for a while and also the Otome game machine for a while. And then that, oh, I hate to say this, that switched to the Switch. <laughs> that transitioned to, don't, don't you snap. That, that transitioned to the Switch when the Vita started dying out. And so I see these same group of girls who bought Vitas buying switches and if you don't think these girls are spending the money to custom make their switches so that they have like a cute clear pink case and shit you're out your damn minds these girls spend money they buy merch they go to conventions you don't know exist they are hardcore gamers and they are very welcoming you like you want to talk about a place that's more welcoming to lgbt friendly stuff that's more welcoming to talking about anything that has to do with you know relationship issues from a female perspective just by the nature of the genre you know these are these are spaces that exist and thrive and are huge but because they're seen as like not real games and not real communities they don't get you know it's the no true scotsman there's no girls that game and then you point to these communities and it's oh well you know that those ones don't count i think a big thing is is that like especially with like otome games is that like with the vita like persona 4 golden brought girls who like Otome games like over into like mainstream video games right because it had like dating sim elements in it and like this other stuff and you're like ooh, now I can like do combat and it was like a pretty like well-balanced and paced way to get into it and it was turn-based which is to me like less less stressful to jump into because you can stop and be like okay let me flip through my personas and what's its weakness and it 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 was very digestible that's exactly how i got into gaming and i think that that is really lost to people that like and you see it now with the switch like people will be like i'm buying a switch because i want to buy this romance reborn game that just came out or i want to buy steam prison it just came out like what other games should i be and like these girls now have like lists of like well, you could do breath of the wild and you could do this and like you could do that and it's just like yeah any game that has a romance component be like well you know since you already have a vita why don't you check out this game because it has a lot of and that's how harvest moon is still thriving that's how story of seasons is still thriving that's how you know stardew valley being a smash hit was not shocking to a huge group of people who were waiting for that game to come out if you were shocked by stardew valley doing numbers it's because you don't realize that there are like harvest moon and its clones just floating around the ether being gobbled up by millions of girls they just they've always been there you just really really want them not to on that same vein uh another thing to note is that it's not just specifically indie games or smaller titles that have a wide population of female players even big triple a games like dragon age for example is a franchise that is historically 
had more female players than male players. I believe uh, I believe it was Bloomberg who had a interview with one of the Dragon Age development teams leading up to the release of Inquisition, where they spoke about how when they interact with fans, they were surprised by how many of the fans were female and who wanted to know ahead of time about romance cycles or what they should expect in the game. And it's not just these big AAA games, it's all games in general. Like A lot of different communities are surprised by the number of female fans that they have. I know recently with Assassin's Creed Odyssey? Odyssey, yes, I'm sorry. With Assassin's Creed Odyssey, Cassandra is the canon character, and even though they have statistics to prove that more players chose to play as Alexio, the percentage wasn't that far off. I believe it was 57 to 43. Studies are showing that the gender gap between gamers, like it, it, that number is just so perfect because the gender gap right now, like I said earlier, is roughly 59-41. This gap is skewed, obviously, because it only includes people who identify on the gender binary. Right. So obviously it's not 59-41, which is why I'm like, it's hard to use these numbers exactly. But roughly 59-41, and then you look at the percentage of people playing Alexis versus Cassandra, and it's like, oh, that kind of checks out. Yes, exactly. And then, like, the reason it's always a story whenever uh, Assassin's Creed has a female lead is because there are a lot of girls who play Assassin's Creed, who love the lore, who want to know more about that universe and that story. And it's always saddening to see Ubisoft constantly, like, trip over themselves over this issue that shouldn't be an issue at all. We can't animate women. It's hard. Yeah. You're, you're, you're right. <laughs> yeah, their bodies are just... We don't understand how it works because we don't have any women working and we like to abuse them when they do work here because that's what Ubisoft does. The Another interesting statistics from this clearly flawed list because it works on a gender binary, which is the thing I'm glad we started saying because I'm just going to say that every time I mention a quote from this now. <laughs> it needed to, It's an important asterisk. Like You do the math and you're like, well... Someone's not getting included or someone's ident- like having to pick. So, Like me. The, the biggest age demographic that the games industry looks to market to is 18 to 34. That's what they tell you all the time. That's what they're always saying. I mean, we got to look for these 18 to 34s, right? So in this, they, they talk about uh, women 18 to 34 and what games that, that they identified as their favorite games. And here's how it breaks down. And I'm going to talk about what the men as well. Actually, I'll start with men. Their favorite games are shooters, with, uh, with the examples being Call of Duty and Fortnite of 80%, which, to be frank, the most casual fucking game you can play. I was like, Fortnite being counted as on that list is going to skew things. No wonder it's 80%. Fortnite's yeah. on it. Uh, 68% adventure games, with the examples being Tomb Raider and Uncharted, uh, neither of which are adventure games. 65% being role-playing games, with the examples being World of Warcraft and The Witcher. So, like... With these games World as examples, World of Warcraft also is a role playing <laughs> game. That's an MMO. Yeah, there's there's some there's some weird there's some weirdness going on with the choices of the examples. But uh, take that part with a grain of salt. But it's still interesting information for the women side. It's fifty nine percent family games, and the what they consider family games are Mario Party and Just Dance. Also, very different games. Very very different. The the important one, which is fifty two percent, which is very very close to fifty nine percent, that is ignored when we talk about women that play games is action games with the examples being Grand Theft Auto, Mario Odyssey, and God of War. The, like, gamery gamer games. That's what I call those games. 52%. Yeah, gamer is fuck. And then the last one being 50% racing games, Need for Speed and Mario Kart. Also very different games, but, like, also gamer-ass gamer games. If so you it, heard that statistic and you were like, oh, they probably all play Mario Kart, fuck you. Yeah, yeah. Just for the record, fuck you. 
eat a piece of poo. Uh, so that, that that's that's like an important thing to, to to notice when you talk about who's playing these games. And I know Spencer has some thoughts about this. Yeah, I think that like I think the thing that drives me crazy the most is the eighteen to thirty four. It is like the oldest baby boomer thinking about how you should market anything yeah because like 18 to 34 always used to be like well it's teenager like late teenagers early adults right but like we're seeing now like people getting married way later and people having families way later so that upper end in that 34 probably can be pushed like closer into like 40 and like because the thought process is it's before you start having kids and don't have disposable income anymore right like that's the point correct yeah because then anything you buy actually counts for under 18 because we assume you bought it for your kid. <laughs> right. So it, it, it's the like after you've had like you've got a job. Right. So you've, you've got, got money. Some money and nothing to spend it on. Welcome yeah. to the club. And so I mean like that's the first thing that just like drives me nuts about like a lot of marketing in games specifically. I feel like can we just not make it like nacho. Can it just not be Doritos and Mountain Dew for like every game that comes out like literally pair with other things i think like animal crossing did a really good job of this like they reached out and um did a partnership with color pop which is a com- cosmetic company and like burned the internet like they literally burned the, the color pop collection for animal crossing has sold out twice as of this recording and is in the process of being restocked for a third time Correct. yeah and it was just like context and like a lot of the people who are playing it solid or buying that makeup solidly fall out of that 34 percent. don't the age thing i think like the other thing like, the, uh, we get to the age like a lot of old people like older people 65 plus are playing video games oh, like yeah. we know and they're that all it- pc gamers my favorite stat on this whole thing i'm so sorry to jump in with this stupid point but if you look at both men and women over 65 both of them are just huge fucking pc gamers men 60 percent of women over 65 play games on pc 68% of men over 65 play games on PC. If you are over 65 and you're a gamer, you're probably PC Master Race. And there's just something really cute about that. Like, these are the people who, like, computers were new when they were kids. And so they probably, like, the, the, they built their PCs. Like, if you're over 65 and you're a PC gamer, you built your rig. You know, and you love it. And your rig is gray because bring bring back that weird grayish. You miss it. It didn't stain that bad. You know, like, it just, I love it. I love that fact. That was the best stat I saw in here. Oh, and this was also interesting. Men and women over 65%, uh, over 65%, over 65, both men and women over 65 were polled whether or not they prefer to play alone. And this is a stat that's interesting to see uh, in general, but 77% of men over 65 prefer to play alone and 81% of women 65 and up prefer to play alone. Which I'm basically a 65 year old woman is what I'm saying. Aren't we all <laughs> in the deepest of our souls? I also think it like really hampers what kind of games are being made. Like games more than movies. Movies has finally broken through and like we have stories about older people. We don't have sto- games about older people. Like I want a JRPG where it's like this seven sixty year old dude who's like, I got to come back out of retirement and like go kill god again i guess like i the want the best part of yakuza 7 was everybody was 45 and up and way too old for this shit every single character that in your party was an adult they all were comfortably old and bitter and it was beautiful 
their backs ached. All of them spent all their time at the bar and none of them got carded because they were in their 50s. They were in their 40s. I think the women were in their upper 30s, which I mean, of course, but over 30, a woman on my television? It was beautiful. Yeah, the interesting thing is that, um, and this is going to be a challenge that I have to our listeners and I'll, and I'll put it on a tweet this week too, uh, at the Weekly Patch on Twitter. Uh, if if you can name five, no, let's make it even more. If you can name ten games where you're playing as a mom, let me know what those games are because I don't think that there are that many that are known and successful. And you cannot count Cooking Mama. Correct. Yeah, if it's just ten Cooking Mama games, that's just more like to me. If the if you have to, if you have to delve into Cooking Mama to find ten games where you play as a mother. That says everything it needs to say, right? Like, that's the answer. If the answer is, I don't know, cooking mama ten times, we done fucked up. It doesn't matter that you have an answer. Sometimes having an answer just proves the point. <laughs> when you when you have that perception of the games industry, right, and who games, who's playing games and who games are for. Real quick, before you make that point, that actually just reminded me of another fact that I found out today the... Um, Kronk's wife in Emperor's New Groove was the first pregnant woman in any Disney movie. Kronk's wife. She was pregnant throughout the entire movie and then she has the baby at the end. She was the first pregnant woman in any Disney film. That is mind-boggling. Yeah. Is that like, what, 2002? Yeah, I mean, 2002, I think maybe even uh, later. I mean, she might also just be like one of three adult women in any Disney movie at that point. Yeah, right. (laughs) Have to have the kid before they can kill her off. So she got lucky. She's smart. It was 2000. We're all old. Emperor's New Groove came out in 2000. I saw that in theaters. Holy fuck. Remember theaters? Remember when we <laughs> thought it was 2007 for a second? I believed it. <laughs> Sorry. When um when you have gatekeepers that like are looking for who plays games and what real games are, when people that they decide aren't playing real games or aren't real quote-unquote gamers... Then they go into defense mode and do everything in their power to push these people out and make them feel unwanted. Yep. And then that's how we get, that's one of the ways that we get harassment. What a great transition. I guess, because that leads so perfectly into what I think is a really important transition to the answer to. We just threw out a bunch of numbers and stats and a lot of really abstract things. And so a lot of times people walk away from conversations or panels. Like, like you'll have panels back when conventions were a thing where people would go over these stats. There was one per convention and it was three white women and a black guy. And and then we listed a bunch of numbers and everyone was like, oh, we have to do better. And then they left the panel hall to go spend $15 on a pretzel. What these numbers mean in the real world is what we're getting to next and what Jordan I think did a a perfect transition into. How these numbers and how this perception is reality and how this gatekeeping manifests are in situations like the content creator Zombie Kills, whose handles and social media and everything we will tentatively have in the bottom, depending. Um, Because the fact that I can't just say whose social media will have in the bottom so that you can follow and support her like we have with every other creator we've talked about thus far is the topic. Do like, do you guys get it? The fact that I can't say, yeah, I'll put her Twitch in the bottom because you should follow her and give her money because she's a great content creator and this is her job and she should get paid for it. I don't want to accidentally be helping her 
or be helping someone continue the harassment that she has suffered her entire life, but specifically within the last year or so. Right, yeah. You know, it's not like this all of a sudden happened. She's been a, a woman of color her entire life, so with everything that comes with that. But specifically, this obvious fucking really, really, you guys can't just get rid of this one problem for her issue has been around a YouTuber. I don't fucking know this man. I hate these people. Uh, a YouTuber will say uh, the quartering. Now, I'm going to do a real quick summary before we get into anything else. The very fast version of this, because it doesn't need a huge detailed explanation, because no matter what, it's completely ridiculous and unacceptable that you don't, sometimes you don't need big details. It's, this dude's a racist fuckface and has made it his personal mission to randomly pick new targets to brigade and harass and do everything he can to leave the internet because he's so offended by the idea of people that don't look like him and think like him in a space that he likes. That's that's the shortest version. The slightly longer version is that Zombie made a really excellent point when the Xbox Series X launched about how they were giving them away for free to a bunch of people that could totally afford to buy them. A huge problem in the community. And that when they were giving them away to free, it was all to white dudes. So maybe, like, give one to a black woman. Zombie, being a black woman, got what Xbox tried to do a right thing and said, we will give one to a black woman. You're a black woman, Zombie. You do content that's really good. You are the type of person that we should be giving an Xbox to in the first place if we're going to be giving them out, which we are. So here you go. Have one. Racist fucks like the quartering took that as, oh, she got mad. And so she called them racist. So she got free stuff, even though she didn't deserve it. Question mark. That's the that's the TLDR. And so it's just been a nonstop constant here's a new youtube video here's a new youtube video here's a new youtube video here's all her social media here's why she's a lying evil nonsense slander nonsense slander nonsense slander but you know don't go to her youtube you know don't go to her twitch or anything there's always that wink at the end they're like but i'm not saying you should go harass her wink at the end and this has been an ongoing sometimes there's even you know it's not always her sometimes there are other victims But there's always a target, and his only role in existence is to find targets. Spencer, I know you know a little bit more about the quartering, so I'm going to leave it with you to kind of give more background on the quartering. He, I mean, he's just great, isn't he? Uh, He got, originally, he started out in uh, Magic the Gathering of all places. He really? mm -hmm, Right? He harassed a bunch of Magic the Gathering cosplayers so much that... Magic the Gathering was like, please leave our community. We just you don't come to our tournaments. Just just go away. And eventually he did go away. And then he started picking up the pieces of Gamergate and like reforging them back into a system that is even harder to hold accountable than Gamergate. Gamergate had obvious bad actors in it. Now the people who were the gamer gators have learned that they can't be like insanely outrageously like over the top sexist or racist or loud about it. So they've now decided that they're going to do it through these kind of gotcha statements or like just making YouTube videos. He literally made he makes YouTube videos about like almost every female journalist in video games. Like 
if they've said anything that comes up to like, hey, XYZ in video games is bad, you can almost be guaranteed he has a video about him. He's the epitome of those who identify as alt-right. And everything that I ever needed to know about the courting was the first interaction I ever saw with him. Someone in his mentions, TLDR, Hitler was bad. And him responding, well, he was nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize. What have you done? That's all you need to know about the foundation that this person is coming from when he's attacking, like, every woman in the industry. And it's reminding me of a thing that happened late January when, you know, that little thing that happened early in the beginning of the year where a bunch of people attempted a coup for our for the United States of America. Oh, yeah, that coup. I remember yeah. there was something about a about a coup. So that was the thing that happened. And I'm going to take a couple seconds back and bring it back into it in the end. Where a very prominent person in the fighting game community named Gutex, who everybody on Twitch knows as the PogChamp face, came out as a supporter of said said coup. And was tweeting about the greatness of the quote-unquote MAGA martyr, uh, the woman who died as a part of that coup. And as a result, Twitch said, we're not going to, you're not, you can't be PogChamp anymore. And which point, uh, side note, uh, him being PogChamp netted him fifty to $70,000 a year. That was like, holy shit, really? Yeah. Uh, early uh, Twitch deals with regard to their likenesses in as emotes uh, apparently had lots of money attached to them for some people. So Cap is getting paid? We don't know what the deal for everybody, but we did know the deal for... For Gutex, and I will put the source of that. It was a Kotaku article in the in the notes later. Which is why it's obvious why PogChamp is what it is now. So what Twitch do, decided to do is like every day we'll highlight a new streamer, and they'll be PogChamp for the day. And you know you'll, you'll you can use PogChamp to connect to their page. And what that resulted in was a lot of a lot of courtings, people, a lot of all these harassment aficionados in the industry to come in and just harass all the people that were being connected to. So if you were a woman, if you were a person of color, you would, they would just stream, go into their stream. If you were LGBT, LGBTQIA plus. There was the drag queen deer was a pod champ and got swarmed. Like they all got extreme harassment from this type of person from, and cause like the quartering is a problem, but he's also a symptom of, a prevailing type of influencer in the industry. Everything that he does, the skirting around the lines, the not, the not, not saying you should harass people, but giving you all the reasons why a person could be harassed. I'm not saying you should email her. I'm just saying that she's evil and stealing and making the world a worse place. And I'm not, I'm not saying, I'm not saying treat anything mean at her, but she's the actual devil. She is the antichrist. I've seen the, the mark of the beast on her wherever the mark of the beast goes here's a direct link to her profile form your own opinion right and here's other links yeah here are links to specific tweets but don't respond to them but here's the link to the tweet it's right here and here's what i think about it and that it's bad he did seven videos about pop champ specifically for the record I, I knew it i didn't see see that was a thing that i didn't do the research on but just knew happened and because that's the type of person courtier is and it has culminated recently with that i'm gonna be politically correct in that i was going to say he allegedly swatted zombie kills uh house and for those who don't know 
It's when you swatting someone is when you call a fake police threat onto someone's house so that they can come and knock down your door and whatever happens, happens. Most likely kill you. Yes. I, if you didn't know, I'm a black person. And the thought of any police activity in general is a threat to my life and will be a threat to zombies life. Breonna Taylor was killed in her house because people were looking for someone else. Anytime someone swats anybody, you are actively saying, I do not care if you are killed. If you die. If you are murdered right now. And they know she has small children. That's the most disgusting part, is that they comb her profile. They know everything about her. They know that this is a mother with small children in the home. And then they do it anyways. That's that's the just insidious, like, there's no, there's no devil's advocating for that. There's no benefit of the doubting that. Because that, and the disgusting part is that some people be like, well, it's alleged. And so because the swatting itself is alleged, everything up to that somehow is negated if she wasn't swatted. Like, let's say she fucking wasn't. I hadn't brought that up because I was like, I don't even want to have that argument. Because if you have to have that argument and you're willing to go that far to where you're, without even realizing it, maybe defending the quartering against those accusations, that's what you're doing. Okay, why are you defending this man? Like, what, what, what has he done to give you the benefit of the doubt for him? And I think that that is what we're talking about when we're talking about the pervasive, like, the, the deep-rooted issues in the community. The, these, these, people, the, these people that are constantly getting out and saying the N-word, and then you go to their streams, and it's like, why was this person ever allowed to get a following this big? They're obviously, like, racist and sexist and homophobic. And, like, it's always obvious once you go back and look, once they do something big enough. But people will argue. It, it's it's the PewDiePie isn't anti-Semitic. He paid people to hold up signs that said death to all Jews. Ironically. It's like, what? Even if it was ironic, what is wrong with someone who thinks that's funny? You know, like it, it, it's, it's that benefit of the doubt where it's like, okay, and what about the Hitler stuff? And okay, what about the Iron Cross collars on his shirt? Okay, what about, and, and okay, what about the N-word thing? Okay, and, and the fact that I have to keep going, and what about? And you might have a flimsy half excuse that involves giving him the benefit of the doubt. If I can do that more than a couple times, why are you still giving the benefit of the doubt? And it's because that's what we're trained to do. Because that's the community. That's how this shit's allowed to fester. And I just think that the biggest thing, the like, you know, we talk about like the one, the biggest thing that'll get people out of poverty, like eliminating uh, college debt would it would instantly close the racial wage gap by X amount. It's things like that. Wealth gap, not wage gap. That doesn't make any sense. But the one big like, here's one cool trick to fix the gaming community and your community too is to see those people that everyone fucking knows about. If you if you were to be like a serial killer seven style and have like a spreadsheet of the names of people that you see making transphobic or racist or sexist dog whistles or are constantly devils advocating for the quartering and Colin Moriarty and people like them, you will find that the list isn't actually that long. The people who are in charge, the administrators, the moderators, the the streamer, whoever it is, the people who run that community that have the power to determine who is allowed in that community, know who those people are. What these people do is specialize in targeting minorities, 
whether it, you know in this case it's, it's women of color specifically sometimes it's lgbt sometimes it's just women sometimes it's just black people sometimes it's just a different race or religion or whatever it is they pick a minority because they're bigots and then they specialize in terrorizing that group of people as much as they can without rocking the boat for the people in power and being the type of people that the people in power know will be loud and messy to remove. The quartering throws a conniption and a temper tantrum like a baby every time he might get banned from Twitter. He's left Twitter multiple times. He just deleted what uh, through October all of his tweets because he's terrified of getting banned from Twitter because that's what he does. He's a coward and he knows what he's doing is fucked up and he knows what he's doing is unacceptable and he doesn't want any consequences for his actions. And he knows that if he is a brat and loud enough, Twitter support's just gonna be like, I don't want to deal with him. Whatever, he's fine. You get the email. What Twitter support could not find any, you know, harassing conduct in this tweet from your report. That shit. That the mobs will be like, well, we gave him a warning, but we can't really ban him over this. The, what the streamer ninja? Well, I never told my community to do it. I didn't tell them not to, but I didn't tell them to, so I don't get the problem. All of these things are just. I didn't want to, like, make a whole thing about it, so I just let them be. So we just let them be. So they continue to grow and fester and gain a bigger audience and make it harder and messier to extract them. And they know it. And they take glee in finding that line between how horrible they can be to their target without bothering the people in charge enough for donald trump perfect example he had to stage a coup for jack from twitter to be like you know what fuck all of the trump supporters it's not worth it i will take the hit from the trump supporters trump's off twitter it took a coup for jack to be like it's he didn't want to deal with fox news it took a coup to be worth dealing with fox news it took the death of their precious police officers because those lives are worth more than other lives that's what blue lives matter means for the, for Jack to be like, I guess the terrorist insurgent can't be on fucking Twitter inciting coups. The, you know, that's just a large scale example of communities because communities are just a microcosm of society. And people like the quartering are the little Trumps, are the people who take glee in walking that line of smashing the faces of anyone they know no one will care about when they complain. I would love for Susan Wozniak, the CEO of YouTube, to like explain it to me like I'm a very small child. Why? And I know that it, like it's money. It's a one word answer. It's money. Yeah. But like I can't like explain it to me why he is a benefit for the platform of YouTube. How many people have stopped doing YouTube because he's harassed them off the platform? Why are you prioritizing that guy? And that's the problem. You you can't get the statistics on potential lost. You can see when, again, when Colin Moriarty left kind of funny, you could see the exact number of patrons they lost, the exact number of subscribers. You can put an exact number amount on what taking a stand kind of a little bit on International Women's Day one time did to their community. They lost X amount of supporters. You can see that. But what you can't ever see are the number of supporters never gained or slowly trickled out over time for not saying so. Like the, if, if they'd done the opposite, if they'd been like, yeah, that's his right to tweet whatever he wants. It was just a joke, you know, take it on the chin, bitch. Like if they hadn't been like, no, actually that's like kind of fucked up, dude. Can you not? Like, and that's, that's all they did. You know, that's why I want to be like, I don't want to 
be too strong in my language because it's not like they were super crazy loud. They were just like, hey, man, like not not great, not cool. And that alone lost them X amount of dollars. So to so to anybody watching that interaction, you see, oh, that's the monetary risk of doing what's right. But what you don't get to see in really easy numbers is the monetary risk of doing what's easy and doing nothing. And so if you could see the lost female YouTube creators or the lost, the, the you know, zombie as of recording right now is taking another hiatus. One of the reasons I wasn't sure if I, we were going to list her socials or not, because she has been dealing with this for over a year. He's not the only YouTuber. He has friends that make videos. They make videos about people that associate with her. So then it's, do I do these partnerships? I don't want my friends to be subjected to this. You know, now my children are at risk. You know, how many black women could be, could have been ninja, but not a piece of shit, but they couldn't deal with making, making dumb videos about video games should not be a life or death fucking scenario. Asking women of color to make reviewing the xbox series x a matter of life and death and then being shocked when they don't do it is fucking stupid that's the most asinine thing i've ever heard of in my life are you are you shocked of course they're not going to be loud supporters of course you're going to always always be surprised that that black girl likes video games and one of the bad faith arguments that you'll that, that always comes up when this type of thing happens is that um it's just the internet you know it's like that's not real that's like that's not that's not like it's like where is, where is the harm? And the two points about that is like when it comes to swatting someone, clearly it's not just the internet, right? But also, it's a thing we've known for fifteen years at this point. But it's a thing we know even stronger now that we've been in a pandemic and haven't been able to go outside for a year. The internet is the only community we have right now. That that is where people are interacting. That is where people are meeting. The internet is real life. It has never not been real life. Your safety on the internet and your safety outside of the internet are still similar problems. Again, the coup happened because a bunch of boomers online found an 8chan post and then became cult members and then tried to stage a revolt against the government. And you're trying to tell me that the internet's not real. So in that way, like you find that the same, it's not like the same issues aren't happening outside of the internet as well. We are like people are at risk inside and outside the internet. And it's all from the same roots. And I know Zagra has something to say. Yeah, like in regards to everything that's mentioned so far, it is important to recognize when platform holders actually do the right thing. In regards to YouTube, YouTube should take a stance against the quartering and his videos and his content. They haven't yet, and we're not sure if they ever will. But like, for example, yeah, but for example, like it is something that is possible and that we have seen in the past. Twitch, for example, not at all the best platform on the internet. Twitch has its problems, but... I mean, Zyger, you can say that, but YouTube had Steven Crowder attacking Carlos Maza in very obvious... This video is about how Carlos Maza is gay and how being gay is bad videos. And Carlos Maza staged an entire campaign that went viral. And Steven Crowder is still making money, making hate videos. Like, YouTube is not going to do shit. That's That's sort of the point I'm trying to get to. YouTube, I know they aren't going to do shit, and that is unfortunate. But, like, we have to recognize that sometimes certain platforms are making an effort. And Twitch was the example I was going to use in that, like, there's, of course, a lot of harassment and problems with Twitch. They have a lot they need to work on. But they occasionally do ban awful people off their platforms. The most recent example I can think of is Ryan Haywood, who sexually harassed minors and 
a lot of other things, which is a huge topic. Zagger, of again, I'm going to pause you right there because I'm not giving Twitch points for that. T- Ryan Hayward was allowed to continue monetizing on Twitch until people noticed, staged a giant campaign. Again, that's what I'm saying is that the problem is platforms will not do anything until the pain in the assery of doing nothing is more than the pain in the assery of doing something. It puts the onus on the victims to be so loud and obnoxious with their complaining that it is more obnoxious to let people like the quartering stay than remove them. You have to be more obnoxious than the quartering and his fans or Twitch will go, eh, we don't want to deal with them. You're polite when you ask us to treat you like people. They're rude when they demand we don't. Who do you think we're going to put up with? You know, and that's that's the reality. So no, they don't get points for Ryan Hayward. Ryan Hayward was allowed to continue making money and a living on Twitch until it was more of an inconvenience to Twitch to have him there than not. Period. That's why Dr. Disrespect gets to come back every single time it makes makes them more money than the flack from the initial outbreak of him filming little boys' peepees in bathrooms. It's just stupid. Give Twitch credit on my goddamn podcast. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Fuck Amazon. Before we move on to the playtest, does anyone have any final thoughts on this matter that they wanted to quickly state out? Give Zombie Kills money and don't harass her and take like 20 minutes out of your day. Call to action. Take 20 minutes out of your day and go on a black woman's Twitter and just report all the fucking racist and sexist replies. I sp- I take about 20 minutes and I just go into like transphobe replies. I like go to like a JK Rowling hashtag or something. And I just report transphobes for like 20 solid minutes. I get like the updates on reports all the time. Just fucking, it's not a long and you're just like on the shitter anyways. Just, they have to read it. You don't. So how about you wait in there for 20 fucking minutes and see what they have to go through. If enough people report it, those people get banned. If not enough people report it, not enough people get banned. That's that's the thesis of this argument. If you are not as loud about complaining and demanding change as the people who are demanding change doesn't happen, change will not happen. Because the people in power are in power under today's structure, which means that their incentive is to not change anything. It has to be worth the risk for them. It has to be riskier to do nothing than to change, or change will not happen. So you have to be as annoying as the quartering for good. Good final oh. thought, Kaylee. Oh, I got Jordan. Did you have something you wanted oh. to say? Um, go to a black woman's Twitter that has their Cash App or Venmo and give them money. Yeah, I agree with that completely. Spencer, did you have any final thoughts you wanted to say? Yeah, mine is to the people who build their business on making community. If you can't afford to pay a moderation staff, you are not a business in the business of having a community. You have to moderate. You have to have a system of moderation that can have people be held accountable, that keeps track of people who are bad actors in your community. If you are not doing that, you will just wake up one day and be like Ninja and be like, but I didn't tell these people to come to my community, but you didn't tell them to leave. So now they are yours and they are going to get up and ride out every time they think that you've been wronged because you haven't told them or made it a perfectly clear it's not acceptable it's like a parent saying well i didn't raise him that way okay well he's that way and he's your kid so you have to fucking fix it now yeah i don't know what to tell you you clearly did raise him that way somehow i don't know now you get to figure it out 
I just think, especially in video games, too many communities rely on the good nature of people who love the community and want it to see it grow and thrive that they don't pay their moderators and they don't I was gonna say if your moderation staff is volunteer you have a problem if your vol- if your moderation staff is volunteer and you have no idea what goes on day to day because i will say i know from being in the McElroy brothers groups they handpick their moderators there's a long interview process to be a moderator for their communities they have a very firm list of rules they set clear tones and they ban quickly and hard and the McElroy brothers know what is going on in their community and who the problem people are and it's something that they take very seriously. They have weekly updates with their mods and they know all about their mods and the communication between what they expect their mods to have their community be and what their community is, is there. Yeah, if your what... community is, oh, I pay my mods, but you know they do everything. I don't know who the fuck, how many people got banned this week. If you don't know how many people are getting banned from your community weekly... How do you know what the fuck's going on in your community? If you don't know what the major kerfuffles in your community are at that week, you don't know what's going on in your community. If these topics don't interest you, you don't want to have a community. You just want to feel famous. Giving people a paycheck makes them accountable to hold the rules that you set. And like, that's just the baseline of community, of like community moderation and of like doing that. And we're going to continue to see the gatekeeping and we're going to continue to see the women wanting to play alone and that kind of behavior from the community at large until the mainstream gaming community decides that the community is worth being good. Like it's worth it. Like this hobby and talking about it and being uncomfortable for a little bit is worth it. You know, um, this is a little bit off topic, but speaking of the McElroy brothers, I have a tab open on my computer screen about a thing that they are doing that I'd actually like to just put out into the world real quick. So I Need the First Games, an organization that's meant to making the games industry more inclusive, and the McElroy family are uh, having podcast grants. So if you are looking to start a podcast or if you are new to podcasting, they are sending people who apply to this uh, potential thing uh, a Yeti blue microphone and a copy of everybody has a podcast except you. And we will put the application oh, for this in the notes. Things. We will put the application for those things in the notes if you are interested. Um, but in the same way that we got to shit on people that ain't doing shit right, I want to do like what Zyger was talking about, like put some focus on people that are doing things that are good for the industry and giving access to people that are starting to try to make this place better and more inclusive. That is a thing that those two organizations are doing. Will Let's also shout out Reset that, Era. Um, like, if you copy that link right now and put it uh, where all the, the other two links are for the quality assurance, just so I already have, I don't have to worry about it. Thank you. Sorry. Oh, I, guess I, let's, I would also point. like to shout out Reset Era. They aren't perfect. They stumble. They fall. The mods are people, but they are one of the only communities I've ever been in or seen that ex- realizes and accepts that they are people who stumble and fall and make mistakes and try to be better and learn from the mistakes in moderation that they make. Um, their website's kind of hard to get a part of because you can't have a Gmail. I've never been email to address. So, you can't have so a Gmail is- email address to make an account. It's Wait, part of how. Can you have Yahoo? You cannot. You have to have your own domain website to oh, get wait, on. I have. I have that. Um, Kaylee at quirkofart.com. That's my email. And they so take I a long time because they go through and. Yes. yes, you can. They go through and they hand pick, like they make sure all the people are people. And um, 
I feel like there are a place that like, if you want to talk about video games and you just don't want to be shout down, like there are a solid place to go even, and you can lurk, you could read their boards and not post, which is what I did for years before when it was back on NeoGAF. So I love lurking. I love it. Those are all great final thoughts, you guys. Thank you for this amazing conversation. Now, we will be moving into the playtest, which is a new segment for the podcast that we teased at last week, where we will be talking and reviewing, for lack of a better term, a game. This week, we're going to be talking about Persona 5 Strikers. It just released, I believe it was last Tuesday, if you had pre-ordered it through uh, either PS4 or Switch uh, the special edition you got it a few days earlier, but the game has been out for roughly a week. Both Jordan and Keely have played it to completion. I witnessed the game completed to completion, and there are we all have a lot to say about this game and various thoughts. I do want to quickly point out that we will be starting this entire segment spoiler free, and I believe uh, there will be a quick little music note to indicate when spoilers will start. So once you hear that music note and you wanted to avoid spoilers, that's your cue to zone out. Don't worry, it's going to be that we're going to say, hey, spoilers section starting now, and then I'm going to put in a little, little diddly-doo or something. I don't know. And Again, audio engineer specialist. Right, it just, there'll be time. There'll be a gap. Don't panic. Don't be like, oh, shit, what if I... You're fine. It, it'll, be, it'll be done in a good way. You won't get spoiled. And if you do, it's because you really, really weren't fucking paying attention. And it's not my fault. And you know, we're going to do this live. I'm gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna, everyone just not say a thing for a second. Diddly do. That's going to be the sound. No, it's not. It's not going to be that sound. We're going to start this conversation completely spoiler free. Spoiler. We're going to start this conversation completely spoiler free. So I guess since Kaylee uh, gave her thoughts the last time, I'll, I'll quickly start with mine. I get my first impressions of the first 10 hours of this two episodes ago. So if this is like your first episode, that's hip. That's cool. But if you're like, what the fuck did I miss where Kaylee gave her thoughts? I gave my first impressions because I got this game on pre-order um, like six years ago. And so episode two, I believe, features my first impressions. I introduced myself this week on a podcast and I made my voice a little bit deeper so I could say this line. This is staying in the podcast as well. I, I, I said I'm going to steal your heart because this game has stolen mine dramatic pause i really like persona 5 strikers it is my third favorite persona game is it the word is the thing that i'm gonna say wait we have the first two you can't just say that the first two are persona 4 and persona 5 and you haven't played golden right i have not played golden so i thought you and sweet girl you both love persona 4 but neither of you have played persona 4 golden and it blows my mind and i've not played persona 5 royal either that triple blows my mind. Because there's no way I'm going to replay an entire 100 plus hour RPG where, where most of the story is the same. It's not. If you are a person who has only played Persona 5 and you think Persona 5 Royal is going to be boring because it's mostly the same except for maybe the end. I thought that and I was wrong. I was incorrect. As a person who watched you play through it for the most part, it's mostly the same. It's mostly there's the same. a lot of the same. I got so much out yeah. of it. Oh, it's so good. But I, I liked it. I think this is the way that I want to play Persona when it is not a JRPG or fighting game or turn-based JRPG or fighting game because we don't get a lot of action RPGs spinoffs from mainline games anymore. I mean, we got Final Fantasy VII Remake. Yeah. 
that's it. That's it. I think there are some things about the mechanics of the game that are a little wonky. The camera does not want to agree with you sometimes. My problem was that there was 900 things all assigned to the same two buttons, and they weren't even assigned to those same two buttons in a way that made it nice to play. Circle does way too many things in this game. For me, it's... A. X and A. A and, like, yeah, A is circle. Yeah, A does everything. Except sometimes where you need A to do it, randomly, it's X. So circle does everything in this game, except randomly, sometimes it's triangle. Oh, for context, I played this game on the PlayStation 5. Kaylee played this on the Nintendo Switch. Yes. Because that actually does matter. It matters quite a bit. On the PlayStation 5, man, this game takes no time loading. I'll tell you what, I have never played a big budget game in the last 10 years where I haven't experienced a single bug or long loading time. And this was the first time I got that experience. Really? Ever. I didn't have any bugs either, but it was some every five seconds there was some loading. And every time the loading screen happened, it was just long enough for me to be like, okay, fuck it, I'm opening Twitter. Like, I couldn't I couldn't last. Every time there was a loading screen, I was like, oh, okay, well, and I'm opening Twitter. And my final spoiler-free opinion, the narrative design of this game is... From a foundational level, exactly what I want from a spinoff of a major game in that it is an extra adventure that shows how characters have grown and in some cases have not and doesn't feel in some cases it was unnecessary. Now, I think overall, there's some points in this game where it's like none of this mattered. And then other cases where, oh, no, this this still this, this matters. This matters to this world. And I and I do appreciate the way the game does that. My spoiler-free final thoughts on the game. When, yes, so I played on Switch, so I'm going to talk about those buttons. Yes, every every fucking thing you needed to do was attached to the A button, except sometimes randomly things were attached to the X button in a certain way that you would have to go A, X, A, and it would fuck me up all the time, and it was maddening, and I hated it, and there was a lot of frustration with the fact that these two buttons carried way too much mapping, whereas, like, I did not know that I didn't use my gun until the very end of the game. About seven hours before the end of the game, I realized that I had never used the left shoulder button, the left bumper. Guns are almost useless in this game. Yeah, because they're, they're useless. Yep. They're completely useless. I thought that because when I would hit X, my special was like a pachoo. So I thought I was shooting my gun with X. So I spent the whole game being like, oh, guns are pretty cool. But it turned out that, that X actually used like your persona's elemental ability and like shot like an elemental bullet essentially and the actual gun feature involved holding the left bumper and then aiming while holding the left bumper and then shooting with the right bumper and using the bumpers for a gun in a game that came out in 2021 was fucking crazy to me you don't use anything about a gun should not be on the bumpers that's what the triggers are they're triggers they're triggers for the gun You'd hold the uh, right bumper to initiate your personas so you could, like, flip through them and time was frozen and stuff. And I liked that time froze there. That was well done. But on the Switch Pro controller, which is what I played on, the Switch Pro controller's right bumper, like, I really, I had to put a lot of force in and I could not move my hand at all. Or the slightest movement would make it slip off and then time would start again. I'd get fucked up a lot. So I, some of it was controller stuff because I hadn't played on the Switch Pro controller before. Some of it was not. But if you're debating, should I get this on the Switch or should I get this on the PS5 or whatever, get it on PlayStation. Playing it on Switch, I was constantly turning to Zyger and going, 
I can feel this game smashing itself into the Switch, like squeezing and and mashing to get it to fit on the Switch. You could feel it constantly. And I, I had a feeling Versus Fighter was going to have a different experience. Let's just say that. Your, your gameplay thing reminded me that there was two points that I forgot to mention. Yeah. The music in this game fucking slaps. So good. It's so good. It's like some of the best. Oh, my God. Music. The only thing I said when we finished the game was... Well, the music definitely felt like Persona 5. Like it was it was Persona 5 quality music. I loved going into the shop because the shop had just great music. That was Tiger's favorite. <laughs> I would take my time. I would buy every single item in the item shop. As I'm listening, it was like, oh, let's see if I can do it fast enough before I get to the part that I like the most. Oh, I did. I get to hear it. It was a nice part. Also, I know because Kaylee and I spoke offline about this, that Kaylee mostly played as Joker. And you do get to physically play as every other Phantom Thief. Yeah, we'll get to that in the spoiler part. I loved playing as people who are not Joker. That's how I played the game. I They all had legitimately distinct gameplay styles, sometimes to the game's detriment. Some of these characters' fighting styles didn't translate particularly well. Like, Who was your team? My main was Joker, Haru, Makoto, Sophie. My main, I played that team for a while, and then... Towards the end, I switched Makoto out for the second character exclusive to this game that you play with. I was going to ask you, I'm really happy because my question was about Haru. I felt like it was really weird. The characters I played the most, I, was like, most of, I wanted to play with Joker the whole time. But I got everyone's showtime because I wanted to see it. So I did play with everyone a little bit. And Makoto was fine. Uh, her driving around in a car thing was useful sometimes, but... You know, sometimes it was really useless. It was very situational, which is fine. Haru I played with and I mostly liked, but she just felt very slow for a game like this. And her HP was one of the lowest in the game. So at first I thought she was going to be tanky because her axe swings were so like heavy and slow. And then I realized that her health was really low too. So she was kind of weird to play as when you, I wasn't just like switching to her to like use her persona or to uh, one more baton pass thing. I didn't stay on her very long because whenever I stayed on her very long, I just constantly was like, she feels kind of slow. But that was my problem with most people. Joker is very fast and I like fast. I like playing as Sophie because she has yo-yo weapons and they're also really fast. But having to play as anybody kind of slow bummed me out. I did play with everybody for the record. But at the end of the day, I feel like I'm too negative in what I'm saying. Because at the end of the day, I'd never played a Musou before. This game, I don't think, was a full-on Musou. I think that's why Jordan specifically referred to it as an action-adventure game and not as a Musou. Because Zyger also was like, this is not an action-adventure action game. Uh, but it makes me want to play a real Musou. Because the, the times where it let itself be a Musou were really fun. I played Persona Q. I played Persona Arena. If it's Persona flavored, I'll fucking play it. You know what I mean? But so I would have played it if it was an action adventure. I would have played it if it was a Musou. It did make me interested in Musos, and I th- I think I think Musos are fun, and I'm gonna buy a Musou next because it was really fun to like get that flavor. But I do think it is probably more of an action adventure game than it is a Musou. But at the end of the day, I mostly had fun with it. The biggest glaring flaw being that too many things were assigned to the A button. Doing, doing, there's like environmental attacks that are really cool. Kind of like in Persona 5, you could like hide and ambush and do stuff. There are environmental attacks. And so while you're in combat, you can hit A to to like go to an environmental attack thing and then hit X to detonate it. 
hit circle, hit triangle. Thank you. The problem with that is when you do a lot of damage to the enemy, you can trigger an all-out attack, like from Persona 5. And if you hit A, you'll do an all-out attack. So sometimes you'll be trying to get to an environmental thing and hit A to get to it and instead trigger an environmental attack or an all-out attack. And sometimes you'll be trying to trigger an all-out attack on an enemy you're really trying to defeat, and instead you'll launch yourself halfway across the playing field because it's like, A, oh, you mean that grapple hook all the way in the corner there? That's where you are now. And it's like, wait, no, I didn't. I wanted all-out attack. Environmental interactivity and all of the combat stuff both being assigned to A was the biggest flaw hands down with the game is having environmental things should have all been x r should have been to do the like you know shoot elemental gun thing and that should have been the gun thing and the other gun thing should have existed because it was stupid and you'd have had a lot easier experience with this game everything else honestly not bad about it but there was a fundamental problem with the layout of the button mapping in this game and it made certain boss fights exercises and deep frustration that i felt were unnecessary my real quick spoiler-free thoughts on the game. I've only played the game for about an hour because most of my experience is watching Kaylee play through it. And I only played as two different characters, Joker and On. Of course. And of course, because On's my favorite girl. I am so shocked that Jordan does not like On to that level. I do not like On. I do not like On. <laughs> I, I respect you and I love you. On's still best girl, but... <laughs> From the hour of actual gameplay, I do want to say that the game plays a lot better than I would have thought it would. Yeah. In that the combat, when you're doing what you are intending to do, flows so extremely well. And it continues to make the game fun and endearing. And if you are a fan of Persona 5, there is not a moment in this entire game that it doesn't feel like Persona 5. Everything from the music, the character interactions, and general story beats just continues to feel. Zyger, I think you made this comment. I can't remember if it was you or me, but one of us, we were both thinking it, and one of us said it out loud. Persona 5's menus were so stylized and cool, and everything about the UI was so just neat in the way that it flowed and was animated and rotated and both of us were like how the fuck is strikers gonna either like copy that or like do as good as that and strikers ui and menus just flipping through everything chef's kiss when jordan talks about the music in the menu in the shop being amazing that is a persona thing Everybody has a really weird menu that they love from Persona because the music's amazing. For me, I love Beneath the Mask rainy version when you're in the attic during rainy days at night specifically. That's the best song in Persona 5 for me. Beneath the Mask with vocals at night. Best song. But this game definitely does that. It has like every, the menus are somehow more stylish. We looked at each other we're like, how did they do it? It's so much better. How did they make the UI even cooler? Yeah. Everything is somehow just as cool, if not cooler, when it comes to the aesthetics. It nails that. Yeah, I was incredibly surprised how the team was able to take what they learned from Persona 5 and amplify it in their menus, the way that they present the game. There, There's not at any point where you're playing the game and you're thinking you're playing a spinoff. It feels like you're continuing Persona, and that's... That's one of the core 
reasons why this game is a must-play if you are a Persona fan. Because Absolutely. the entire time it feels like you were continuing to play Persona. Like, you've never stopped. Even though the combat itself is different. But yes. I still think the combat flows really well when you are doing what you're intended to do and not when the button mapping becomes an issue. But when you're in the flow of it, it feels great and it makes you want to continue it more. And as Kaylee has mentioned before, she really enjoyed like fighting giant mobs and this has her interested in playing Musos. That's a sign of a good game when the game wants you to continue playing these types of games. And this game does it so well that even if you aren't a Musou fan, this is a Musou light. You should play this if you are interested in Musos in any way. And if you like this, you will definitely like Musos. I want to point out because uh, when we did, when Kaylee did her first impressions, and this will be quick, we, we were thinking and wondering about like how much of this is Koi Tecmo and Megaforce, how much is this Persona team. And I made a point to, when I was watching the credits, look at the divide. And oh. gosh damn it, Koi Tecmo did they think? Because it's almost entirely them. It's wow. almost entirely them. Like the scenario designer, which I'm going to translate into probably narrative designer or person who created the story, was from Atlas, the oh, Persona team. And original concept art and the things that are clearly carried over um, from Persona 5. But everything else, Koi Tecmo. Combat, the menus, the UI, the flow, the level design, some of the characters, they they made a Persona game. Yeah, they did it was their really homework. good. It feels very, yeah. So final, like, non-spoiler review i don't really you know this isn't a podcast listening to review scores i don't think we've had that conversation but i don't think that's scores are dumb scores are dumb i would recommend this game if you are a persona fan if you're not a persona fan and you're not a muso fan i don't know it's 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 weird that you'd be interested in it i guess like I, why are you interested in it if you're not either a persona fan or muso fan i guess would be my question if you're asking if this is a good starting point into the Persona universe, I'd say probably just play Persona 5 on PS5. was free if you got a, uh, a PS5 at launch, and I think it's been a PS Plus game. I don't know. Or just buy it, because they deserve the money. It's a good game. And then play this. Play this after. To me, this is like really good DLC, because it's it's literally a summer vacation. So it's it's a post-game summer vacation. For those Persona 3 fans that played The Answer, imagine if The Answer was amazing. Yeah, if the answer was... Oh, that's that's what I was waiting to say. The, if the answer was good is... When we get to spoiler talk, it's my feelings about this game. Yeah. If the answer is good, is this game. If you're wondering, do I need to play Persona 5 to, to understand this game? Yes. Absolutely. Yes. Oh, it's me. It's, oh. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> no, yeah, you absolutely you don't, do. I mean, you don't have to, because they do that thing where, like, this is just like in Persona 5 where X happened. So they do have those moments where it's like, I don't totally understand this, but... You know, it's also like this is this is the part of this that's important, and the rest is different, so it doesn't matter. Like, so it'd be like, oh, this is kind of like palaces from Persona Five, and they'll be like, yeah, but Jills are different because of X. They'd be like, okay, cool. So like, it doesn't totally matter because they say the parts that are the same. You just don't get to know what parts are different, if that makes sense. Like, there, uh, there's a scene that happens. Uh... You would never know Goro Akechi was a character. Zygor said, said yes. this after we finished the game, where he was like, oh, I was surprised there was no Goro Akechi. And I was like, fuck, I forgot Goro Akechi existed. So Goro Akechi fans will be pissed. Sorry, they are not feeding you. There is not even a, there's not a hint. There's not a wink. There's not a, a dog whistle. The dogs are sleeping. There's just, he's non-existent. There's one f- funny point that happens very, very late game. Um, 
where Morgana is like, this is really like this. And another character is like, what? What, what does that mean? And he's like, and Morgana's like, that's not important. Just know that we've done this already. <laughs> like, yeah. 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 I know exactly what you're talking about. Yep. A lot of the game is weirdly meta. Like the the times where the writing is weak, they do this thing where they like turn to each other and go, wow, this feels like a game with weak writing if it was not real life. And then everyone goes like, yeah, but that's how it is. Or Futaba will just come forward and be like, this is like a boss in a video game or like, oh, this is like the next level in a video game. It's a lot of Futaba doing that in this game. Yeah. So the, sometimes the writing can be a little like really tr- pushing on your suspension of disbelief. But if you're okay with that, like, you have to be okay with that. Like, if, if you're okay with them being like, this is, it, it's how it is because that's how it is because this is a Musou now. Just come on, let's go. I'm cool with that. I'm always like, whatever. It's a cognitive thing. It doesn't, you know, you spell science for the P, suddenly you can go into people's souls. I don't care. Oh my God, that's so dumb. Um, right? I like, <laughs> if, you, if you can stomach that, you will stomach everything Persona 5 Shreggers has to throw at you. How about that? I think that's pretty fair. There's nothing sure. stupider than cognitive science for the P. I, I, I refrain from talking too much about the narrative, and I, I do want to make one last point. I said this already, that I was making one last point. This is my actual last spoiler free point. Um, the downside of this being a Musou game is that if you remember Persona 5 or any Persona game, sometimes during battle the characters talk and they're saying actual important information or sometimes <gasps> talking to a boss. When This game is so chaotic in battle and so much things are happening on the, on the screen and audio, there's so many sounds happening that there were most of the time where characters were talking during combat I it was halfway through the conversation where I started noticing that they were actually talking and it was so hard to hear and I couldn't read the screen because I was too busy fighting that I, I know I lost a ton of conversations because there was so much happening on the screen and so much going on. And that was a big failure of what this game's combat. I would kill things so like every boss I killed so fast that sometimes the game there was two times in particular where the game kind of was like, uh and the boss would just have one HP for a really long time as it got its speech out because I was killing it so fast it wasn't getting its important dialogue out. So it was literally just, you know, I take it to one HP and then I'm hitting it for twice as long as it took to get to one HP as it's talking because it's got the subtitles in the corner. Which again, I mean, I'm gl- I didn't have that problem because I rely on subtitles a lot because I don't hear well. And so I'm very used to having to focus and also subtitles to get information, Dragon Age, anything that has that that dialogue while combat thing. I have to rely on that. And so I didn't have the problem where I was missing dialogue because of that. I had the problem where I was missing dialogue because I was grinding so much because I 100%ed it that some like mid tier like mid to end game that like two thirds of the way through three quarters of the way through I was over leveled for and I would just cruise through bosses they would just like they had stuff they had to say so that it could cut to the cutscene of them dying and they were already dead so it's like well spit it out bitch cause you're dead it became like a running joke where I was trying to kill the bosses as fast as possible I just bring out my personas and just hammer them with like persona attacks and then pause and just spit spam uh, SP items because it was end game and I had them all and then just spam more persona attacks it was just, just to see if I could like miss dialogue okay and with that I think we can move into the spoiler segment of the spoiler cast diddly do 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 so if you reach this part, you're welcome to spoilers. But, but, 
I have double spoilers, right? Because I experienced this game while also watching the show WandaVision. So if you don't want WandaVision spoilers, here comes another round of that sound. And they go spoilers. Diddly do. 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 If someone were to ask me, what is the plot of Persona 5 Strikers? I would say the same exact plot as WandaVision. Like, legitimately the same exact plot. In that um, hurt people hurt people. Uh, trauma can create can force people with power to create these different realities that bend to what they want in their own desires. And the government and big menaces like to take advantage of that. And a small ragtag group of people come and fight against that. That's that's the plot of both WandaVision and Persona Five. That doesn't feel like WandaVision spoilers. That feels like WandaVision harmless plot synopsis on the TV guide. Yeah, but people are real sensitive about spoilers. It does. Oh, good. Does that channel that's just the TV guide channel that scrolls still exist? It does. It's the sometimes that would have good programming at the top, like a good infomercial. (laughs) And good and good. It had good tunes sometimes too. It was like the Weather Channel channel tunes, where it's just like. Yeah. It's just like smooth jazz. I love I it. I like the uh, Chef Tony. Yes. We cut up a bunch of tomatoes. Loved watching that one. That was a good one. Speaking of tomatoes, there's a lot of good cooking in Persona 5 Strikers. My favorite, so Zogre pointed this out to you. My favorite was Zyger, uh, Joker's Diner. The aesthetics of that menu. Yes. When you go to the cooking screen, it's set up like a you know 50s diner. And it's like Joker's Diner. And it was super cute. The music was really good. The aesthetic and art of the menus were really cute. I loved cooking in that game. I loved finding recipes. I would go to the supermarket every time I left a every dungeon. Time. Just to see if there was more flour and rice. Come on, come on. Yep. And crab. So hard to get yes, crab. Yes, crab. Because at the end of the game, crab hot pot. I used yep. nothing but crab hot pot. That shit those, ruled. Those SP slash HP effects? Are you kidding me? So right? what we're gonna do is talk spoilers, but we're not gonna we're not gonna just tell you the entire plot unless it's something Kaylee. Was, was that the end of the spoilers for WandaVision? Yes, that's the end of spoilers. Okay. So if you were if you were like shit, I already did the skipping for Wanda or for Persona. Now I had to skip for WandaVision. Now I've also added some sick beats here to let you know that all WandaVision spoilers are over, but all Persona 5 spoilers are still on the motherfucking table. This game had clear winners and losers when it comes to the characters of the Phantom Thieves. Yes. And I will say... The biggest loser, although it is a character who's had some of my favorite moments, was Ryuji. Really? Everyone has a jail that's associated with a problem that they have good sense with. Ryuji does not. Oh, you mean that way. I thought you meant that the opposite way. Persona 5, for me, was like, it did a really good job endearing you even harder to some characters and then made you not like some characters nearly as much as you used to. That's what I thought you meant. And I was like, Ryuji, I loved him at the end of this game. Oh, But yeah, yeah, no, Ryuji to get fucked that way. You're absolutely right. Ryuji did not get his own palace, which he didn't in Persona 5 originally either. Yeah. Because he, he, he's just like the first friend, so he's like with you on the All thing. Right. But everyone's with you from the very beginning of this game, so this doesn't work in that way. Yep. Um, what Ryuji does get is uh, strong-ass himbo moments throughout. He's just like... I'm I am not smart, but you're like 
if you're you're like you shouldn't help me i was like shut up we're helping you we love you that's that's ryuji in this game and i actually really do appreciate that what i don't like is that um all of your dialogue choices that involve ryuji is a line like saying something positive or a line just fucking with them but not in a fun way my big my biggest problems with this with the writing of this game in general is the dialogue options and that the dialogue options for the uh for the protagonist because they're just bad like sometimes i'd stare at the dialogue options and i'd be like this is the exact same dialogue option three different ways like a parody or like one obvious one and then like one joke one which i guess is normal but then a third one that's just like why would anyone fucking choose this so again you only had like i always was like i have one option Either because two of them were so fucking stupid or because all three were the same. I was constantly like, why did you give me a choice? This isn't going to change anything. This doesn't. No, the plot was very, very, very linear. Yeah, I love that, though. I think the protagonist, Joker, is another character that is a loser in this game. Because um, because of the dialogue options, you're either like very boring, generic. Yeah, that's right, guys. Or strangely, like really mean. Like, sometimes your options are just really mean to where the characters like, these people will not be your friend if I only chose these characters, chose these dialogue options. And I don't know, that might be a localization thing, that might be a personal thing. I don't know. Honestly, everybody in this game is a little stupid. Like, everyone got a little dumb in this game. So I could see everyone being like, oh, that's Joker, he's just kidding. And it's like, really? He's being, like, verbally abusive. It's like, nah, he's just joshing. Yeah, they're, but- all, they're all kind of dumb and very oblivious to danger. Like, obvious bad guys. Yes, and that's another thing. I'm going to get to obvious bad guys in a second. But I want to talk about the two other winners in this game. Uh, Haru. Because Haru Haru didn't have much of a personality in Persona 5, really. It's just like, I'm kind of lightheaded and dumb and I'm super reserved because I am old money and that's what it's taught me to be. I'm boring. My hobby is plants. Plants. Everyone loves plants. But she's like, I like farming. And you want to talk about beans? It's like, I don't know, maybe sometimes, not all the time, I don't want to talk about fucking beans. I think in this game, Haru was their character that they gave the most impactful jokes to. What I completely agree. I went from absolutely hating Haru because I was like, why are you here? You're just dumb and in the way, to Haru being like my second favorite character. They rehabbed her so hard. She's also my second favorite. She's so likable. She's super likable. There's a character in Kichi who's a new character in the game. He's a cop. And you, you know what I want to say? I was so mad when the first cop that I, the first adult that I have played as in a Persona game that isn't Persona 5 Arena, Persona 4 Arena, is a fucking cop. That's the oh. adult I get? That's, yeah. come on. Play Persona 2. I ain't doing that. <laughs> That's what they all say. <laughs> Whenever he shows up, he's like, you know, we have, we have to trust the police. And then Harlow is just like, yeah, but we don't like cops. Without a beat. Without a beat. Without missing a beat. Just straight up. Oh, we don't trust the police. First words out of her moments. mouth. It was so good. It's she amazing. Like every time she gets a chance to sell Zenkichi a cab, she takes it. Without a doubt. It's just so beautiful. And she has my favorite moment in the game entirely, which I experienced today as I finished it um, in the last dungeon, which is a thing that Kaylee, I think, mentioned not liking. And I only liked it when it happened when she did it. Where right right when you're about to fight the final boss, which is someone trying to be God, because, you know, it's Persona. She's like, man, fighting God again, huh? 
I love that. I liked I liked a, a large portion of the meta jokes. That I was just commenting that it was meta, and I felt like sometimes they used that as an excuse for bad writing. Like yes. that the chapter where it was a bad writer. So when they were in the jail the entire time, anything that was like contrived as shit, they were like, I don't know, he's just a bad writer. Of course it's contrived. It's like, yeah, but you're now I have to play that plot. Like also, the mechanics of that dungeon were still the same mechanics of the rest of the game. So, like, saying that this is dumb is, like, you, you should Exactly, know. right? I was like, okay, so you're saying that this is poorly written. And they just kept making jokes about, like, certain things being poorly written. And I'm like, yeah, but you guys are the ones that wrote it. Like, stop excusing the bad writing because it's intentional. Like, no, 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 it's supposed to be stupid and contrived. Okay, well, it's still stupid and contrived. Like, My, my, my biggest loser was ryuji my second biggest loser actually my biggest loser was protagonist second biggest is ryuji third biggest is selfie slash sophia which is self her, her nickname is selfie and her character's name is sophia that's I was the worst that's I fucking was dumb. furious i think it was haru that suggested it because i was still anti-haru and i remember yes because somebody was tweeting at me i was like oh i'm gonna start persona 5 strikers and somebody was like oh i love haru and i was like oh bless your heart because at that time i was like haru's a dumb bitch and I was like, I didn't want to reply that because that's mean. You know, he likes her. It's not his fault. And at the time, she sucked. And I put my phone down instead of responding to him. I picked up the controller. And then Haru was like, oh, Sophia needs a code name. How about Sophie? And I yelled. Zyger was there. I yelled. I, it was, I, didn't even, I don't usually shout at my TV. And I was like, you dumb bitch. Just, <laughs> just Hey, I was so pissed. And then they, I, I was like, okay, so we're all going to tell her she's stupid. And then she, I, I wanted her to be called Mochi because her little hat looked like a Mochi and it would have been does. really cute and it wouldn't have been fucking Sophie. But I was overruled and the name was actually Sophie. And I was like, Haru, how fucking dare you? Haru, how could you do this? You're stupid, infected the whole game now. I have to spend the whole game calling her Sophie. So Haru was starting from a... I thought Haru was exactly the bitch I thought she was. And then she very quickly A-capped her way into my heart. I also love Yusuke because um, Yusuke is full Yusuke in this game where he's just like... he He's really angry all the time about people fucking up in this world. Like, he's the most passionate when, he, oh, when yeah. it comes to like talking someone off which is interesting also he's like going full into starved artists but back to selfie selfie sucks and here's why selfie sucks uh selfie as a and are not i guess as i like to call her uh is yeah we've already that's my problem is we've really already done this it's another ai with a persona ai with a persona and there's two things um that i find funny about her and it's it's a very anime thing like you know how pixar is like what do we give toys emotions? And what if we give bugs emotions? And when we give emotions emotions, anime is like, what if people are sexy? What if dogs are sexy? What if AI is sexy? What if Pandora's box is sexy? Pandora's because, box? Oh I said that too. Zyger, what did I say? I was like, oh shit. Pandora's box is hot as fuck. Because her persona at the end of the game gets revealed to be Pandora. And you just see a box and it's a coffin. It's like, oh, it's the, it's kind of looks like what she was doing. And the, the coffin opens like, up to a bikini <laughs> woman. And it it's Pandora's so box. Hot. She's like hot. a bikini woman with the the. It looks like Mott for those that know Persona Five, because yes. Sophie's Sophie's persona up until that point was like four, like the cubes. the cubes from the Fifth Element, the keys from the Fifth Element. Those were her persona. They all had different symbols too, so they were literally like the Fifth Element keys. And then uh, once she gets when she awakens to her real persona, 
it becomes Pandora's box. And so like one of those keys is kind it kind of looks like Mott from Persona 5. And so I was like, wait, is her persona going to be Mott? Because I already have one of those on my squad. Yeah. And then it opened and a sexy lady comes out, but she's wearing the coffin like a poncho. So it's just like sexy abdomen and legs and then really big coffin poncho and like no head or anything, just sexy legs and poncho coffin. It's weirdly hot. Yeah, I mean, you open up Pandora's box and you never want to go back. It's it's really weird. And in that same scene, she repeats the same line four or five different times. Where she's talking to her creator, a character who was clearly the last boss the moment I saw her. Like, right, yeah. clearly, the clearly. clearly. And I was like, there's the last boss of the game. He's like, I said, oh, I bet she made Sophie. Right? Yeah, I bet yeah. she made Sophie. She's just Adachi. She's like the sort of clueless, like, I'm going to be really nice and polite. And a little airheaded Even sometimes. more obvious, because super but, early in the game, you find out, she's like, oh yeah, I invented Emma. And we're like, and I'm like, she invented the evil AI that created these jails? Because basically the way that you get to Mementos used to be an app in Persona 5. But yeah. in this game, there's an app everyone's downloading called Emma, which is voiced by and just is Siri. And so Siri basically... Um, eats up everyone's desires and the power of everyone's desires turns it into like a a god but like obviously a false god and so then you defeat siri at the end of the game that's loosely the plot so early in the game you're like here is a character that created emma it's an app that we use just like we use the metaverse navigator in persona 5 but for everyone else it's just siri for us it's the metaverse navigator for everyone else it's siri we meet the woman that invented that and we're not like Hey, girl, did you invent an evil app because you're evil? Not once. Not one time. And also, they do the thing where um, Sophie, Sophia is, like, the prototype for this app. It's, like, the beta for this app, pretty much. You literally find her in the garbage, and it's very obvious right away, like, oh, she was the prototype for yeah. Emma because she's voiced by Emma, and she keeps hearing Emma's voice in her head, and she's discarded software. So, obviously, she's a prototype for Emma. Which means obviously she was created by the same person as Emma, but they don't make that connection till the end of the game like it's a reveal. And they do this thing where when you meet Ichinose for the first time, Sophie talks and she said, well, what was that? And she said, I'm Sophie. I'm humanity's companion, which is the thing that she says. We just sort of like her thing. Her introduction. And then then Ichinose gets a concerned face on her look, a concerned look on her face and says, ah, like they do a point to write a line that's like, ah, and then they're like, is there a problem? No, no, nothing. It's the pancake line for this game. Right, yeah. it's the pancakes. They did another pancakes. And so, yeah, some of the criticisms you could have for this game is that I'll, sometimes it felt like, oh, they just did this Persona 5 thing in a slightly different or, like, not even different way. Yeah. Like, sometimes it felt like hitting the same beats narratively. And they, they have a problem on a, just a narrative level in general where they do the thing where we know things before the characters do way too much persona loves that it ruined persona 3 yes. it really did that's the biggest criticism i have of persona 3 it would be a better game if they took out the parts where they reveal all the twists to the audience before the characters know them if you're going to do that don't have a silent protagonist don't have a person that's supposed to be your proxy into the world when you have a reaction that's different than them yeah like if i if that's supposed to be me then all the knowledge that they have i should have if we have different knowledge that's not me so I think my long and short of my immediate feelings of the narrative is that, like, it's fine. It's like the characters and 
how they live in the world is more interesting than the actual plot. The plot is a procedural drama like a CW11 show, um, which is fine. It's not like great. It's not bad. But like, we're going to go to this person. Okay, that's their story. Now this, then that's where, now that's their story. Now this will, now that's their story. It, it is very formulaic in that regard. And I don't mind the linearity of it, but it, it just didn't uh, lend itself to anything special. Did we get through this game without there being like bad LGBTQ representation? There is not a single cringe, weird LGBT thing that I can remember. Correct me if I'm wrong. They just didn't do anything. There was no like, uh, they did a beach scene, but they didn't have the cringe. Like usually there's those two gay guys that are like predators to the young guys. Those guys, those guys were not in this game. Um, but there was no acknowledgement that LGBTQ people existed as far as I can remember. There were some dialogue choices that led you to flirt with Yusuke. Yeah, I, I've talked about my first impressions where I was like, it kind of felt like there was some fan service. Like if you want, you know, you could, yeah. in your head, you could fan canon whatever you want, but nothing explicit enough that I, I would call embracing. On a greater note, I'd say that there's barely any romance in this game at all. That's true. There's Not no romance all. options. There's like romance in that you can go on a date with one person. I missed that somehow. Oh, so I went on a date with Futaba in a. I carousel. wanted to. I knew that there was a carousel Futaba, th- like a carousel thing that you got to pick, and I kept waiting for that to happen. And somehow I did everything. I kept constantly going back and talking to everybody and checking all the vendors. I did all of the quests. I checked the quests to make sure I didn't miss any of those. So I don't know. I, I must have blacked out. I don't remember doing the carousel. I don't remember doing it. It was it was a missable scene. So if you were to move forward at the wrong point, like if you just accidentally like went in the wrong place, then it just wouldn't have happened. Yeah, there's a lot of that in this game, which I don't love to be honest. Yeah, there's a lot of missable stuff. It's it's stuff that's easy that's not particularly difficult to not be missable. But if that's the case, then just don't make it missable. Once you leave an era, you can never go back to it. Once when you you can always go back to jails, but in the overworld. You cannot go back to any area that you uh, have moved forward in because it's a yeah. straight up linear game. It's very linear game. Yeah. That's like a okay. This is this is this is clearly like cutting costs. This is like we're not. In to a me, it game. was we're switching it on a switch. Like I could forget it. You could play it on PS Five because to me, all of the like linearity and the removal of features and the removal of like instead of having a bunch of confidants sell you different stuff, like Ty would get you medicine, you get your weapons, airsoft shop. Those are all gone, and Sophie is your one-stop shop. And I was like, oh, cool. They removed all of these different menus and displays and UIs and characters and put it all in one place because they had to fit it all on the Switch. Like, everything that made this game feel smaller than Persona, like, I think that's why I feel like it's, like, DLC almost, because it feels smaller in scope. It's a Persona light. Yeah, right? It's, it's a 50 to uh, it's a fifty to 60-hour game if you're really trying to get, like, everything out of it. Um so it's about half the length of Persona 5. It feels like a smaller game. My uh, my end game clocked at 42 hours. I did not 100% it yet. I'm going to, but I am not far off either. Yeah, I, I don't know how I missed that carousel quest because I was so fucking careful to get everything else. I, there, were some que- there were some requests that I thought about skipping because it was just like get you better item discounts in the shop or whatever. And I was like, I don't. This well, that was so fucking annoying. What? Oh, you know, there there are quests that are super dumb, or it's like we have a marked a point on the map. Get there without raising your jail level. Yeah, like, I yep. thought that I was going to hate that one the most. And then there was one where it was like you had to phantom dash uh, Neko Shoguns, but there were only two places on the two entire places. fucking map oh, yeah. that places. had Neko Shoguns with environmental killability because fam dashing is just an environmental kill essentially there were only which means you can't do it unless there is something that you can environmental interact with 
So there were only two spots on the map that had both Nego Shoguns and an interactable on the map. And then when you'd get there, your party would, that's where the, the button mapping would come into a problem. Because by the time you get that quest, you're so high level that the second you hit a Neko Shogun, it triggers an all-out attack. All-out attack is triggered with the A button. Environmental kills are also triggered with the A button. So you would look at the pillar that you're trying to interact with and press A. While behind you, one of your teammates has hit a Neko Shogun, triggering an all-out attack. So instead of going to the pillar to do the request, you all-out attack and instantly kill the Neko Shogun in one shot because you're 20 levels above it. It took me over an hour. It was the most frustrating experience of the game until I got to the very end of Bass Fight and I had to fight as everyone individually when half my staff was 15 levels lower than everyone else. Like stat right I run team. <laughs> you know right. what, uh speaking of that mission was also a problem because that world was a that jail was a maze if you the map is not is useless because if you walk in a certain direction after a certain point you'll go into you a warp hole yeah that just teleports map, you somewhere else map um, can't be used even after you defeat the everything in the like if when i went back to the jail those warps were gone it'd been like fine cool but i had to memorize what all these fucking warps did by the end of the game i had that map and all those warps down but it was annoying as shit to get anywhere. Speaking of which, that is the jail for the DL, the not DLC the new character Zenkichi, who we didn't really go into much detail about. Yes. So Zenkichi is boy Sai. I was gonna say a couple things. He's boy Sai, but he's also Sojiro. Yes, he's boy Sai, but younger Sojiro. Literally, when we got back to Sojiro at the end of the game, he was like, "How was your trip?" And I was like, "We got a cooler, younger version of you." I mean, good. Also, that's a small <laughs> tangent. So. They're on the news being pinned as murderers, and he doesn't call. He doesn't right? call. Not one time, not a text, nothing. He's just what like, you have parents? a good time? It's like, what? Our parents were like, YOLO, we left for the summer. But Sojuro was like, oh, Futaba, who I was so neurotic about, I let her not leave the house for a school year and be behind in school because I didn't want to, like, hurt her delicate sensibilities. I'm just going to let her go on a cross-country van tour with a bunch of dudes. She's 17. Zenkichi is a police officer, more or less, that is working on the changing heart amp- epidemic. And his wife was killed by some government bigwig who you think is going to be the uh, the last boss or our boss in general, but never ends up being that. He's just a guy who gets his comeuppance in the background the entire time. It was and, weird because he got his cup of it in the background, but it was after the boss fight. After like it was the, like right? we, we do everything, and then it's like, wait, there's one thing we haven't taken care of, and I'm like, oh, we're gonna have like a boss fight with that big wig government guy that killed Zenkichi's wife, and then it's just like, and then Zenkichi arrested that guy. The end. The end. <laughs> <laughs> okay, he got arrested. We figured that would happen. You're that was the climax happened. Like the game didn't realize what the climax was. The game thought the climax was ten minutes after the climax happened. And he represents my biggest problem with the overall, like, story and narrative of this game in that it doesn't quite know what its message is. Because yes, the entire time, and the fandom themes in general, are kind of like all cops are bastards. Like, they're kind of pushing this, with the exception of Makoto, who, like, also seems like that, but he's, like, still wants to be a cop. I'm like, come on, Makoto. Right. Even, even Sai... Yeah, she, she does a No True Scotsman thing where she has a conversation with Zenpachi at one point where she's just like, well, my dad was a good cop, so I want to be a good cop so that there can be 
good cops, which is a thing. Like she she has no she's done no introspection into the depths of the institutional problems with policing, even in the wake of her best friend being arrested twice, like for no reason. And beat up by the cops. Like they were gonna dispose of his dead body. They they even joke because at some point Zankichi gets arrested and they do a quick joke to him, his boss, like, how does it feel being on the other side of this after he's been like brutally abused by his peers? It's bizarre. They don't know they don't know the messaging that they want with cops because they do say all cops are bastards, and Haru sticks to that the entire time. She does. Most. It's like all cops are bastards, but this one's a nice one. And he's like going across going under the rules, but he's still he's he's one of the good ones. And they don't know how to navigate that really at all i feel it's it's like all cops are best but this is a good one and we got the bad one gone so all the rest of them are good now it's like the feeling that i get at the end of the and game that actually that speaks to such a larger problem at the end of the game where constantly this like emma's the siri god is like you guys decide what is just on a case-by-case basis and you don't do anything to channel the systemic problems and that's why this keeps happening over and over again where these gods keep promising to you know change the system and they recognize that the system is bad they want to change it to something that's worse so you come in and you defeat them which technically makes you the good guy but you make no effort to actually change the system and you think that you can make a case-by-case judgment on what is morally correct with each evil person in the entire world and that's not possible which means if we let you guys be in charge, there's going to be a lot of evil that could otherwise be avoided. And damn, if that ain't a strong point that multiple characters say in this game. And they say it out loud that blatantly. Yes, and directly. the fan thieves are just like, we have a responsibility to choose our own destinies. And it's like, okay, that doesn't answer any of the things we said about how, like they'll go at, at the very end. And I love Futaba. So this broke my heart. At one time the the, you know, the bad, the person that created Emma is like, well, who's to say, if, if you say that uh, this infallible AI is wrong, what makes you right? Is it possible that you're wrong and the infallible AI is right? I don't know if I agree with the infallible AI. I just know that if it's between me and infallible AI, I'm just going to assume the infallible AI is correct and go with it. And the and Futaba, she's like, you guys don't think you're ever going to make any mistakes? You guys think that your judgment's perfect? Like, Aren't you guys saying that you're more infallible? How are you not becoming gods? And Futaba's like, you're wrong. I admit I make mistakes. I make mistakes all the time. And it's like, okay, that doesn't answer the real problem. And then they double down. And this is, I think, the really salient point that Ichinose, the creator of Emma, makes. And she's like, you guys are strong. And so you believe in a world where if people are strong, they can stand up to the systemic problems that push them down and rise up and do better because you guys have done that. But what you fail to realize is that you have a sample size of all the people that successfully did that. And your world essentially punishes anybody not strong enough to do what you did. And there are lots of people who aren't strong enough to do what you did. You've met them all the time. They're the palace rulers who were led astray. They're the jail Monarchs. Whatever. monarchs, which makes no sense. A monarch of a jail. You had palaces and you didn't call them monarchs. But then jails, you call monarchs. Uh, anyways, whatever. Jails, the jail monarchs are people that lost their way and weren't strong enough to do what you're saying. So what do you have to say about all the people who aren't as strong as you who are going to get hurt in your society that relies on being strong? And Futaba says, I'm strong because I get back up again. Take that, God. 
she does what I call the talk no jutsu, and it's like an anime thing where they just like, no, valiant point. I'm gonna stand up with my chest forward and my stand tall, and we're gonna do this thing. And, it, and it, they just they just fumble that shit a lot, and it it, it it kind of just lays out the problem with everything that, about the fandom thieves' existence, and they don't have an answer for it. Yeah, and it's main character energy. Yeah, we are the main know. character. We have the plot armor. <laughs> well, w- everything we do is right because we know it's right because we know what's right. And anytime someone's like, "How do you know what's right?" Sometimes you're wrong about what's right. Then what? They go, well, then we admit we were wrong. And it's like, okay, but what about the hearts you changed that it turned out didn't need changing or something? You know, you can only go over. Like, so the creator of Emma dodges being suspicious because she sold Emma to Jack Dorsey. And then Jack Dorsey created the app Emma. So she's like, I made the AI, but then I sold it to this evil tech company and the evil tech company changed it to make it evil. So the entire game, you think that the evil tech company, Medis, which is a great evil tech company name, it is. is the bad guy, which is not a hard sell for me. But at the same time, I'm like, okay, cool, but I can't, that doesn't rule you out. Like I, I read a lot of Agatha Christie. So I'm like, girl, you're still suspicious. Like that is not an alibi. You have not given me an alibi for why the evil AI was not created by you. You know what I mean? But they are like, oh, well, obviously she said that it wasn't evil when she gave it to them. So it can't be evil when she gave it to them. She can't be evil. It's it's dumb. They are dumb, naive children. <laughs> That's another problem. That's another problem. They are stupid. They are stupid. Like. They're, they're the fucking Scooby gang because they're always like, I don't know. I've never seen a man in a rubber mask. I can't tell the difference between that and a fucking ghost. You know, like. Yeah. They do the thing where um she. Like, we live outside of the game, right? So where there are things that we see clearly faster than other people, that's a thing that with art that you got to deal with. But this is a character that shows up in the game who has, who clearly has a character design that isn't a nameless NPC. Right. That has, that, that's clearly important to the role. So she's either going to die early, which she clearly isn't, or is the mastermind. And it's very evident from, like, the first interaction you have with her. And they try to pawn it off because they give you a bunch of quests from her. And so it's like, oh, she was introduced to do it so that she can give you these quests so that you can get these items. But every single quest you do with her, you never see her. It's all text. So there was no need to create a character for her or for her to exist, to be honest, if her only reason to exist was to coincidentally be the creator of Emma and the person that sends you these random errands. It was just, it was so obviously like, okay, well, obviously she's going to be more important than this. We haven't seen her. Like, we do all these requests, and I'm constantly waiting for, like, a check-in where we're like, hey, what are we doing all these requests to help you for? What have you been doing with them? You're not, like, doing evil AI stuff with them because we still don't know if you're suspicious. Nope. We just, we never, we never question shit. It's so weird. It is bizarre to me. Every time I did one of her requests, I was waiting to, like, unlock more of her story that I was sure was coming. Which is another thing, which is a problem with this game, which is like repeat of things for Persona 5, where she's like, oh, the person that we've been trusting is actually the bad guy? Yeah. This evil adult? Futaba literally says, I can't believe it was you, to Ichinose. It's like, how can you not believe that? How is <laughs> it not If you never obvious? played Persona 5 Royal, it's not that bad. But if you did play Persona 5 Royal, it's like, oh, Takuto is a girl. Like, she even has a white trench coat. It's literally Takuto. Like... The extra character and final boss of uh, Witchman does it. Like, and who all have the same goals, by the way. Who all have the same goals, yep. It's just like, the same goal. Is just, I, I said talk no juice before because it's also the new Naruto goal. It's like, yeah. it's Mitsukiyomi. Yeah. I understood why it wasn't a sequel to Persona 5 Royal because it's essentially the same story as Persona 5 Royal. Like, 
slightly different flavor, a little gender bending. It was weird. And it starts really strong. The first boss that you're introduced to, Alice, she's so well-designed and she's made so menacing and so like intimidating and cool. I thought she was going to be the final boss. I thought we were going to lead up to attacking her palace. I thought that like she was so well-designed and I really liked where it was going. And they did a great job of like making her appear like really popular stuff like that and then it was so rushed because she was actually just the first boss and then you never see her again which made it feel really cheap because if on slowly gets to know her and then we basically destroy her entire life and on's like well don't worry because you have friends and us okay we're gonna go on a cross-country road trip for the summer and never call her right bye like the entire time in the game i'm like where is alice on promised to be there for her her entire life just ended publicly we are shitty people alice is gonna kill herself like the the whole time it felt so weird and then the second boss was so weak and poorly written and boring and shitty it was literally just madarame's palace from persona 5 again yep they name check it a lot too yeah the oh this famous art person is plagiarizing and shitty but is using mementos to be famous or is using you know magic to be famous or whatever the fuck it's like awesome. That was that was literally, we did that already. It's not it's not telling me a new moral. It's not a new take on it. It's just it's just really obvious. And then what really bothered me the most that we haven't gotten to yet is that every single jail spends the entire jail making the monarch more and more clearly and obviously villainous, like just evil. And then at the very end, right before you fight them, you have to watch this sob story of, like, how they were hit as a kid. And suddenly the fact that they've murdered, the fact that they've raped, the fact that they've abused, the fact that they've held people prisoner. In the Like, Alice, the first girl, some girls called her ugly and said that she couldn't be a model. So she's had multiple assistants have nervous breakdowns, whose career she's destroyed. One of Her most recent assistant, besides the one in the game that she physically abuses... She me. has locked in her apartment and has been locked in her apartment for months. Kidnapped. Held prisoner. But, you know, some girls were mean to her when she was a teenager, and that's supposed to, like, excuse it? Like, I'm always like, are you excusing this? And every single time the answer is yes. Well, his dad hit him, so of course he can kill people. He killed people! He killed the scientists and then blamed it on us. It's fu- It's crazy. These, like, shoehorned in like sob story oh my god this horrible tragedy happened to this person so the fact that they're a caricature evil villain is somehow excusable and you like have to sympathize with them and so don't 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 want too hard for them to to get their comeuppance it's fucking weird this is the thing i actually disagree on in that um i like the hurt people hurt people message like when you when you started off talking about how it in that spoiler part so some mm-hmm. people didn't hear it but you said that hurt people hurt people and that was the message of this game and i was like fuck that's really good and that's really true i think they just presented it in a ham-fisted way on a lot of occasions like that part of the message they were trying to tell is good but i think a lot of times it was so ham-fisted that was my problem. Half of the bosses are so forgettable and not well done. And that's yes. why that ends up resolving. Where in a couple of cases, it's just like they 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 go, they, they present it as the way, the thing that this game does very well, which is part of a problem that Kaylee is talking about, but it is done well, is like in a vacuum, in a box, presenting what trauma does to a person. Yes. Or trauma can do to a person, rather. And right. They do make a point to say, man, that really sucks. Are they really a bad person? And then someone's like, yes. <laughs> but like, they yeah. still like, but were they bad though? And that's the part where they didn't need to do it. 
that final boss guy whose dad hit so basically medisa's owner his father hit him and abused him and threatened to murder him and admitted that he murdered the owner of medisa's mother that he killed his own wife this owner of Medusa's mother and was like, I'm going to kill you like I killed your mother because your mother wouldn't give me money and you're a little piece of shit and he used to beat the shit out of his son. And his son told adults and you see like adults coming in being like, we got reports that you're abusing your son and him being like, tell him boy. And his son being, no, uh, I fell down. And then the adults leaving and the dad being like, how dare you have bruises that cause suspicion? I'm going to beat you harder. Like it's, it's very graphic, intense, like child abuse, very clear cut. And at the end of the day, after the kid learns that his mom was murdered by his dad, the kid murders the dad in self-defense. Like, dad says, I'm going to kill you, and is beating this child to death, and the child murders the dad. And the game at the end makes this man apologize on national TV for murdering his father, and gives no context to the fact that it was self-defense, makes no mention of the fact that he was a child abused by his dad. The apology literally is like, I'm an evil person. I murdered my own father and staged it as a robbery. That's literally, that's all he says about it. That's all the yep. context that's given. And I'm like, no, you were a child that had to kill your father in self-defense after he murdered your mother. Like, what the fuck? That is not, he did, this man did so many evil things. And the one thing that the game made him apologize for verbatim like actually out and out say this is an evil thing I did was the one not evil thing he did. Like it's weird. There were these weird moments in the game where I'm like, I think you're making a good point, but sometimes you're just like not fucking getting it, dude. That was one of the major ones for me. Like that was weird as shit. It was super weird. It wasn't done well at all. The problem with that is that the Medis guy, you know, we, we approach him and we're like, Hey, you're evil and you're the final boss before God. And we think you're the final boss. And the whole game acts like you're the final boss. And then there's seven more hours of gameplay. Because fuck Kaylee. She doesn't need to sleep. That's so funny. Because I, I finished the game two hours after that. I finished the game seven hours after that. Because right after that, I got like nine more requests, including that Neko Shogun request. And that Neko Shogun request took me two hours. Oh, that's why. I didn't do any more requests after that. I just beat the game. And was yeah, she did all of them. So many. That's the problem is between that request and God, it gives you so many fucking requests. And I was like, well, I'm already this far and I've almost 100%ed it. What if there's something special for 100%ing it? So I did all the fucking quests. And that's why it took me another seven hours. Yeah, dude. It fucking sucked. Oh, that's that's another reason why playing on PlayStation is good. Because I just looked at the trophy list. It's like, does 100%ing help with anything? No? Okay. Yeah, and that's the thing. I was like, I'm not even getting any trophies for this. I was so mad. I was just like, fuck this. But anyways, he tells the Phantom Thieves, he's like, you guys couldn't protect me. If you guys kept doing things the way you're doing things now, you can't protect a kid like me right now. So many, basically, like so many children are being beaten to death by their parents every day. And the way that you are handling things is not creating systemic change that will help them. You are not helping on a large enough level. And the Phantom Thieves are like, we find our own justice. Literally, just completely, he made such a valid point where he's like, if the Phantom Thieves existed when I was a child, they would not have saved me. I was alone. I was all alone. I had to kill my own father because no one would save me. And he, like, his whole thing is he thinks he's a hero and he thinks the Phantom Thieves are villains. And so he's constantly like, these are the things that make me think that you're the villain. Like, you, you, you don't save people like me. You don't save the people that aren't strong. You, you only save the people who are essentially you've been saving all of the people that are so horrific that they get palaces or jails and they get their heart changed and they get re- rehabilitated. But the more mundane evil never gets addressed. 
And I think one that really ties into our quality assurance where society has such a huge problem with letting mundane evil pass and is only comfortable in dealing with the easy, big targets. And that's what Persona 5 is trying to teach us. And that's what Persona 5 Strikers is trying to teach us, I think. But then the Phantom Thieves didn't have an answer. Yeah, they didn't learn a lesson. They, they didn't say, like, no, we are making systemic change. Or like, oh, shit, you're right. He was painted as being wrong, but he's right. And that's the biggest narrative flaw of the game for me. That that goes back into the messaging about police officers. Because at the end, it is the police that save the day. It is the yep. police that get they the moment. They just arrest like, all the bad guys. Yep. Individually, all the bad guys. They're, that is the systemic change that they're playing. Because, like, this game, like you were saying... All the bad guys, quote unquote bad guys, their point is vigilante justice is, and is not justice. Superheroes don't really do the job that you need them to do. And I forgot about this. Halfway through the game, the cops betray the Phantom Thieves and try to arrest them and frame all the murders on them because they just are tired of like doing this and they want it's to easy. like arrest the Phantom Thieves and that'll be a nice, easy solution. They see, they see that. They're on the run and they're going to hiding. They go into hiding. They, they were actively on the run from the authorities. And then literally three weeks later, they're like, okay, well, the authorities are going to arrest all the bad guys because the only people the authorities arrest are bad guys. We've been arrested four times. Like, <laughs> it's such, they're so afraid to just, like, I think they're afraid of their own message. Like, I feel like they're kind of that, like, well-meaning liberal that's on the edge of realizing, like, the problems with Kamala Harris's record. Like, you know, they're, like, they, they want to go all the way, but they don't realize how far all the way is. They're me the first time I heard the phrase defund the police. Like, when I first heard that, I was like, oh, shit, are these people crazy? Because that sounds crazy. I remember thinking that like I was I was in the middle of a fucking protest. I had like 30 water bottles in my backpack and I was like, am I doing all this with a bunch of crazy people? And then I was like, wait a minute. They probably thought about this before they just started saying to fund the police. So then I started listening to them talk about what to fund the police would mean and where all the money would go and what a society without police would look like and why the police are just, you know, extensions of slave catchers and inherently irredeemable. And I was like, oh defund the police okay like it's scary at first to be like wait that's a huge change i can't imagine a world without police and i had to spend a lot of time talking to people who have spent way more time imagining that world because i realized that every question i could have has been answered and if you have questions and you're like wait wait well what about x Google that question. Just type those words and you will find uh, like an abolition website that specializes in teaching people of which I am not because <laughs> I've been to many and there's there's an answer to every fear you have, but it involves a lot of big change and the bottom line is big change is scary for people and I think that the creators of this Japanese game especially live in a culture where like, you know, defund the police is a crazy concept here. Like this is a, for Japanese studios and for a japanese game to be as radical as this is saying something in that society in a different way than it's saying something in an american or western society too which i think is really interesting and so like i can't really fault them for not being willing to be like no straight up a cabs and kichi retires at the end of the game and makoto becomes a private investigator like you know like i think they I can't fault them too much for going there when we have like six days in Fallujah being, no, I'm going to make an apolitical game about uh, a genocide. No, it's going to be apolitical. Yeah, it's totally a thing. You can just, you can just make that apolitical. You know, so like, it, it's hard to fault them, but it feels like that's what it is. Like they're afraid to, to even, I think that those people are even afraid to think themselves like, wait, if we're right, the police are bad. 
Like, I think they're afraid to just sit in that reality themselves. And I think you can feel that in this game even more than in the other personas. I feel like you can really feel these developers realizing that, like, we've walked down a road where the end result is communism's good. Like... (laughs) Oh and God! When you look at it, like it, it, it goes with the, the 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 prison culture and the police culture and the conviction culture at Japan. Because if you didn't know, like the conviction rate for people that are arrested in Japan is over ninety five percent. It vacillates between ninety five and ninety nine percent. So it's just like full trust. Like once once you are arrested, well, they got the person. They're going to jail now, and yeah. and there's no room for fault in that. And then this, which is weird in a game like this, where like five false arrests happens. But I did want to talk about one more thing before we uh, go on too long, because we, we talked about two important themes that the game had. And there's one that is also important that um, is less in your face, but still is what the game is about. And that is like AI and our dependency on technology, where it does flat out say like, there is such thing as evil code. There is such thing. You, your, your values get imparted into. Yes. Yes. So we were talking about this yesterday where I was making jokes about like, oh, you know, no, the, the, the code and the, the algorithm can't be racist. For people who don't know, um, there's this really fun Twitter game where you take a picture of a white person and a black person and you put them, you know, aligned vertically with you know the white person above the black person. And then you do it the other way with the black person above the white person. And you post both of those to Twitter. Twitter will crop both of them so that the focus is the white person. Every single, you can adjust for same color background, same lighting, same size, same everything. If you have a, a person of darker skin, it's obvious that, you know, if you go just a really dark black person, but you can go, you could play the game of how dark you have to go before the algorithm says, fuck you. And you can see the racism in the algorithm. And this has been a running game for years. Be- and we all know it's here. And you see tech guys, every time this goes viral, there are tech guys in their replies like, no, 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 the algorithm isn't racist. It's not the algorithm. It's just that um, the algorithm was fed predominantly white faces. So it's better predicted. So it's better at detecting them. So it detects the white faces more. And as a result, tends to focus on them. And it's like, OK, cool. It didn't mean to be racist, but the algorithm's doing a racist thing. So it's racist. It's that thing where it's like, I didn't mean to be racist, so I'm not. You can be racist and not mean to, just like an algorithm can be racist, even though it wasn't programmed to be. And if you have a racist or sexist or homophobic internalized subconscious tendencies you don't realize, and you're programming that code, you are programming that code with all of the latent, you know, just internalized patriarchal, whatever the fuck name you want to call it, everything about society that you perceive goes into the code you write because it goes into everything you think and do and speak because we are a society and that's how society works that's how one of the things the game did fairly well at the end where how, how they explain that because yeah. the character sophie is a be- is the the beta version of emma who is the bad guy so you got the good guy and the bad guy put made by the same person and emma i mean sophie is made on the context of i want to explore the heart and love and what it means to feel things and with the 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 emma who is the bad guy is who has the same function, does the same things as Sophie, which is just your Siri, is was uh, programmed under the context of there is people want this world to be better for them and they don't want to do the work for them. So let's control them. And those two things, the, the, the programming on the back end of them, almost like the same, but the context of how the programmer decided 
to put those into the world is what ended up putting them in opposite directions, which is like clearly lays out. Sophia was made to be like humanity's companion, as she says over and over again. But like Sophia was made to work hand in hand to assist humanity in doing whatever it wanted. And Emma was made to be a benevolent dictator. Yes. Like I get it. We all want a philosopher king. We all at the end of the day, we all want a benevolent dictator. We all want someone who knows exactly what to do and we want to give them all the power to do it. And then we just want to trust that everything they do is exactly the right thing to do. I feel like that's the human nature that a lot of times we all want to argue. Some people want to argue because they think they're the person that should be in charge. Like, it's not that, like, you know, no, I don't want someone to tell me what to do. I, I have ideas. Oh, cool. You sound like someone that wants to be in charge. Like, uh, the human nature a lot of times boils down to that, where it's like, I don't know. I just want someone smarter to, to, than me to tell me what the right thing is, and then I just want to do it. I get that instinct. The problem is that in reality, benevolent dictator is an oxymoron you can't have it so emma becomes an evil god that decides to make everyone robot slaves or whatever so (laughs) i get it's tempting emma emma was like i got it i'll become a benevolent dictator i see i I get that but i think they do a really good job of explaining why benevolent dictator doesn't work in reality two things i want to talk about real quick in regards to persona 5 spoilers the first thing is and i feel like jordan might disagree at first is uh, Senkichi. I really like, not because he's a cop, all cops are bad, but one of the ending statements of the original Persona 5 is throughout the entire game, it's uh, adults are bad, adults are bad. And at the end of Persona 5, it's like, hey, we adults realized we fucked up. And we see now, thanks to you guys, that we did fuck up and we promise to do better. You Can you please just trust us to do better? It's Sai telling this to Joker. And the end message of Persona 5 is like, yeah, adults are bad, adults fuck up, but we're going to try and trust them. And at the beginning of this game, uh, you meet Zakichi, who is a cop, and you don't trust him at first, but he's the first adult that, like, interacts with these children in a way that, like, makes them understand, like, oh, adults aren't necessarily always the problem, or they suffer the same things that we suffered through, and because Zakichi becomes a Persona user, they're like, okay, they start to see things in a different perspective and they start, as the game progresses, they start to like recognize Akichi and respect him in a way that they don't respect other adults. And it's nice to see that growth in all of those characters in that like, oh, we don't trust adults. We don't trust adults. And like the beginning of the game, Makoto and Haru are in college. They're in that slow transition to be adults. And it's nice to have an adult role model in a sense for them through Sinkichi, and Sinkichi, again, not perfect, and throughout the course of the game, he does, or he admits to not being the best father ever, but, like, they start to see that growth in Sinkichi, and it's like, okay, not all adults are bad, and they start to be more trusting, in a sense. I think that's an interesting juxtaposition, because in Persona 5, you had Sai, who was, like, the only adult that wasn't actively a villain, And even she ended up getting a palace. So it was like, wow, even good adults are corruptible. Even good adults can waver and fall off course. And and at that time, it kind of read as, you know, even good people can lose their way. And everyone, that's why redemption is worth it. Because, you know, just because somebody lost their way doesn't mean that they're irredeemable or evil or not worth it. Anybody can lose their way, which is an, an important message. But another reading of it is even good adults will fail and let you down and become tainted. And so to juxtapose that with one, 
when everything looks fucked and Zenkichi gets arrested, Sai steps in and basically lives up to what she said. And she steps in and is like, no, 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 no. You're not going to arrest him. You're going to let him the fuck go or I'm going to cause problems. It's weird. It's very Mary Sue. Whatever. I didn't question it. Sai was a total boss bitch. She's hot as fuck. She walked in. She took care of business. She walked out. She had a five second cameo. It was sad, but it was cool to like see it be like, oh, wait, you know, and then Zenkichi, who starts off as like, yeah, I was a shitty dad because I was weak willed and didn't want to risk my daughter being his wife was killed by a famous politician. And so he started looking into it. And when he got too close to discovering the truth, he was threatened by assassins that they would murder his daughter. And so he stopped looking into it. His daughter took that as him being a pussy bitch, and so she hates him for being a cuck. Straight up. She might as well just call him cuck instead of dad the entire time. She fucking hates him. And she's, you you don't care that mom died. You don't give a fuck. Like, she's pissed that he gave this up. And she doesn't, well, she doesn't know that, like, he didn't tell her, which is stupid. Just tell right. her. Like, oh, well, it was either risk your life. Like, your mom's already dead. I didn't want a dead wife and a dead daughter. I decided dead wife was shitty enough, you know? Uh, but instead, he avoids having that conversation. So she's pissed. And what's really cool is you see him constantly trying to, like, earn her trust and trying to win back. Like, he's always trying. And it's the first time you see an adult really, like, constantly trying and trying to do better and realizing that they're wrong and growing because originally he's paired with the phantom thieves to betray them and when it comes time to do it he's like you know what i choose not to and he gets his ass thrown in jail instead and so they see an adult like take one for them and like an adult have like come push come to shove do the right thing which is the thing they weirdly do not see a lot sadly and like from what we've seen of their lives and so it was, it had this message of adults are also capable of change. Like adults are humans and we all know that humans are fallible and capable of making mistakes and getting put on the wrong path for various reasons, but everyone is capable of redemption and change and doing the right thing. And that's a good message. And they pair it with Akane being younger than them. Akane is like 13 Middle school, yeah. Right? They say how old she is at one point. I think it's 13. I thought it was 12, but 13 Right, it's also... like 12 or 13. It's right it's there, so but close. whatever. Akane's 13. The Phantom Thieves are between 17 and 19 at this point. And so to Akane, they are adults. Akane gets a jail, and she fights both her dad, because he's a filthy cop adult, and the Phantom Thieves. And the Phantom Thieves are shocked. They're like, what the fuck do you mean we're adults? We hate adults. We're kids. And and it's this co- kind of cool moment where they realize that to Akane, they're no better than the adults that when they were her age, they hated. And they get that perception. They, they realize like, oh, it's hard. I've gotten to these points a lot as an adult where I'm like, oh, shit. Those things that adults said to me when I was a teenager that I would understand when I was older, I understand And I'm furious about it because I'm mad that they were right. You know, when you're a teenager and somebody's like, oh, you'll understand when you're older. You're always just like, that's so patronizing. Like, just fucking explain it to me. I'm not an idiot. But then, you know, I remember when I was a senior in high school and I was planning on moving out and I'd run like budget lists where I'd be like rent and gas and car payment, insurance and groceries. and I'd, I'd plan out everything. And then the first time I actually lived on my own. And it's like, no matter how much you budget, somehow you always have less money. It's, I don't know where it goes. You budget for everything. It's somehow something comes up like, and you don't know that until you do it. You you, like, there's nothing you can teach a teenager that's never lived alone. 
that will 100% prepare them for living alone. And so you kind of got that feeling in this game where it was a bunch of like teenagers becoming adults, realizing that their vilification of adults was immature because there's nothing really that special between adults and teenagers. It's not like a Pokemon thing where eventually you become an adult and and you know when it happens. You become an adult and you don't even realize it happens until someone else points it out to you. And that happens in this game, and it's really fun because they're horrified. It's great. That's why. I, that's what I like about. That's why I feel this game does feel like a sequel as opposed to DLC. In that, like, yes, I, it's, I think it's post game DLC. That's why, like, I feel like it's a, that post game DLC. Like, the answer should be to PS to P three. Yes, and yeah, you know I mean, I, I, I quick quick thing about Akane and that whole jail thing and her whole storyline. It's it's nice because it shows that like it shows where the beginning of someone that would have had a palace starts like right where it's like oh absolutely yeah the preys on they prey on someone i'm gonna write a a longer thing about how persona 5 strikers is like looks uses the way the same tactics that gang members use to initiate people where you take someone who's going through trauma and you you give them the solution and the solution is hurting people Um, i'm really excited to retweet that on the weekly patch twitter account after i read it but the one thing that happened with Akane that pissed me off so much, um, she's talking, she's sitting there with people that she doesn't know that are Phantom Thieves, and she's talking about how her mom was murdered, and Makoto's like, you know, my dad's murdered. And it's like, no one else is going to talk about their dead parents? Because a lot of y'all have dead parents. A yeah, lot of you have right. murdered parents. Yeah, Har, Har's dad was publicly, famously murdered. Like, Har's famous, and her dad was murdered. Yusuke's parents... Oh yeah, my mom was murdered by the man that made me, or by the man that raised me. Futaba, Futaba also saw when her mom died in the yeah. same way that Akane, and she ain't saying nothing. Just oh yeah, just, I also watched lost. my mom die. She was also hit by a car. It's like no, no, that didn't happen. And she was also murdered by the big bad of the last game. Yeah, it's so weird. It's so fucking weird. No one said anything. What are you doing? And we got to have Makoto's cop has to be the savior? That's, and that's the thing. It's like nobody else said anything because that entire section was, oh, fuck, Makoto still wants to be a cop, but we have to make her sympathetic. So we have to remind everybody that both of her parents are dead. That's all that felt like. The whole thing just felt like trying to rehab Makoto, but they couldn't change the fundamentally unrehabable things about her. So what the fuck is the point of this? Now, Zagreb, you said you had two things. So what was the second thing? The second thing is a much smaller thing, and if you are listening to the spoiler cast, you have either beat the game or are planning to beat the game. Or you and... just don't give a shit. Or you don't give a shit. There is a point. This is just a tip to everyone who might want to play this game. There is a point at the end of the game where you're separated from your teammates and you're in a white hall. And you can only run forward, oh but every time you run forward, it resets, and they just repeat the same line over and over again. <laughs> Uh, don't we follow the path. Real quick, Jordan, do you remember this part? Um, at the at the I end have of the game, I have different I have different opinions on this part. So I'm waiting, but yes, I do remember. Just a word of advice: the way you progress through that is to not follow the path and just walk slowly into a wall. You have to walk. You cannot be tilting the analog stick the full way to be that like jog, and you can't be doing the actual sprint. You have to actively be walking for a fairly long period of time into any invisible wall. 
And if you start moving in the wrong direction for a second, that thing resets and you have to do it for that same time again. Yep. And there is no further, you could go through that same path, I don't know, nine, ten times. And Sophia will repeat the same line of dialogue that just says, don't go down that path, do something else over and over again until you make Zyger Google it because it's five o'clock in the morning and you just can't anymore. My problem with that was different, but in the same vein, where the moment I was placed in that thing and it showed me a path and it's a, and, and I know Emma says like, oh, I'm not supposed to walk there. I'm just going to stand still. I ran against every inch of both of those walls. I used my evil eye thing and there was no indication you were supposed to walk anywhere. There was nothing to tell you you were supposed to walk. I covered every inch of that place. I saw it don't, don't go where they're telling me. So the opposite of don't go somewhere is staying in place. So that's what I did for a little bit. Okay, and that didn't work. So then I walked in the other direction and it didn't work. You actually... You have to actually fail. You have to fail before they teleport you to another place. Because I walked into those walls and I walked into another direction for equally or even more than, than I walked in the wrong direction. And then when I finally was like, okay, let me try this a second time, then it worked. But that was terrible direction. The to game transition. holds your hand so fucking much for the littlest tiny things that to get to this part and have them be like, I don't know, figure it out. And have it be this obtuse, it's crazy. There is no other part of the game where it's not like 12 arrows and a cutscene telling you exactly what shaft you're supposed to go to. And then this. Also, if we're talking about one more gameplay, side-scrolling parts are dumb. Yeah. The one part where you have to like do the side-scrolling and then there's the flashing lights that'll cause security. Fuck that. Yeah, it's dumb. It's This is not a platformer. No. What are we doing? No. No. And there's no grappling hooks. The entire time you're just like, just, I missed my grappling hook. Have you played oh, Persona but he can 5 jump so high. I do he like that he can really jump. High. I did like that he can jump. I like games where you can jump. I do too. I miss, I'm playing Tales of Berseria right now, and every single time I play it, I'm like, oh, I wish I could jump. Okay, I think that's going to put a wrap on this Persona 5 spoiler cast, unless anyone has any final statements real quick. Um, I do want to end on a positive note. So I will say that this jo- this game does a great job of the character moments. We've ripped the narrative to shreds, but the actual minute to minute gameplay where there's like cutscenes and the characters are talking to each other, every- like people are charming and relatable and doing cutesy things. And um, they do a good job, I think, of like, like I said, I completely love Haru now. I didn't, I fucking, I loved making fun of her dead dad before. I didn't remind her her dad died once after her first A-cab. And you know, she really charmed the shit out of me. Makoto, I will say they did really dirty. I forgot to really go hard on this. They doubled down on her hall monitor fun police aspect so hard that people who were Makoto fans, I don't know if they'll be Makoto fans if they played this, at least in terms of this game. Because anytime someone wants to do something fun, Makoto's got to remind them about like homework in two months. Like It's that bad. It's obnoxious. She's the just constant, like, I don't know if we should be doing that, you guys. She's like Chucky from Rugrats with none of the charm. It's bad. Yeah, but... she lost the charm when she said she wanted to be a cop again. Yeah, I was, re- yeah, I was really rooting for her because yeah. she was being very mum. Anytime that um, Hari roasted the police, Makoto didn't say anything. And you get a, like a good halfway through the game before Makoto goes on her, well, I'm going to be one of those good cops that like does things rants. My final thoughts are Haro, Yusuke, and Ryuji are great. On kind of sucks. Everyone else that Damn. I didn't name check are live in the middle space. 
uh, where at least Makoto gets moments, even though she also sucks. I don't find Anya Vaughn's moments to be particularly great or memorable in this game. So she sucks particularly in this game. I, I wanted more Futaba. Futaba got that bunk bed. That was so cute. Kicking her little legs up there. She got the best spot. That's where I would have been. In the van. Play this game. I, I, I legitimately really like this game. I'm not going to say I love it, but I did really like this game. And I want more Musos to get this particular type of treatment. Yeah, it's good. If you're not a bit, if you're a Persona Five fan, if you're a Persona fan, you should play this game. If you're not a huge Persona fan, anytime this game goes on sale for like forty bucks, you should get this game. That's how I feel. It's well worth it. And that has been Persona Five Strikers, a game Persona Five fan should check out. If you wanted to check out what I do, you can follow me at Siger one three three seven on Twitter, spelled with an X, like. I didn't write this. I know you didn't write it. I saw it a long time ago and I should have said something. God damn it, Kaylee. God damn it, Kaylee. I looked at it like, what is this word? I was so hoping he would say it. Okay. It's it's zebra with an X. I know. I know it, it is. I'm not saying I know, but it's I'm gonna take it from the top. No, you're not. I'm not I just keep same. going. We, we, we gotta yeah. this then. Yeah, it's it's thirty seven spelled with an X like in uh, Xenomorph. <laughs> Kaylee, where can they follow you? Quirk of Art XD on the Twitter. I'm crying laughing. Is this what pranking is like? That was yes. so fun. Oh my yes. god, pranks are awesome. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitch. I stream Tuesdays through Fridays at twitch.tv slash Quirk of Art. Jordan, where can people go to see things you've worked on? Uh, you can go here where I give Kaylee the shit she deserves because of stunts like that. And you can also follow me on Twitter at Versified. Or you can follow We Should Talk at underscore We Should Talk. I said last week, and it still remains true, We Should Talk is on sale on, sale on Steam for 20% off. So buy it. Give me money. You should. Everyone do that. You should give him money. And Spencer, where can people find your wonderful content? I am Miss Nintendeek64 all over the internet. That's YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, Instagram. I stream Monday, Wednesday, Fridays now. So we're doing lots of farming sims. Awesome. Can't wait for it, all of that. This is going to do it for the Week 4 patch rollout. Subscribe to Future Patches on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get podcasts. Follow the weekly patch at the weekly patch on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube, or join the QA process in our Discord server. Comments, questions, bug reports? Send up to us at hello at theweeklypatch.com. Links to all of these and more in the episode patch notes below. Week for a patch complete. Da 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 da.